the world just won't stop turning Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Wow, Rob, boom, right on the Turner. How fast were you? Are you watching baseball lately? I've been making some changes in my life, Seth. Changes. So, trying to be on top of things. Hey, Rob. Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes, Seth passed his test. Ch-ch-changes, he's going to be an auctioneer. Going three times, and it's sold to the man in the purple shirt, the pink shirt, the yellow shirt. Keep it short. Keep it short. Keep it short. Yes, Seth's an auctioneer now, so now I'm going to be a, what do you call it, the guy that Oh, go- yeah, you're going to be my spotter. Spotter. Right, so I'm going to run around the crowd. No, and- you stand next to a couple people in a certain area, and then when they like are starting to bid, you'll be like, hey, hey, hoo, ha, and then if someone's like embarrassed and they don't really want them to, anyone to know that they're the one bidding, then you like bid for them. Okay, we got a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff. We'll talk about auctioneering in the coming shows, Ooh. and I, I won't. I'm going to forego my usual show update because we have first Brock Butler, Perpetual Groove. He's part. They are part of the Baker's Dozen. This uh, incredible lineup that Live for Live Music has thrown together for late night uh, enjoyment after fish, post fish, if you will. Yes, which that's coming right up, isn't coming it? Coming right up. You know what's fucked up, Rob? What's that? Well, Watch not, your mouth. It's, yeah, I already hit the yeah. Gosh, uh, Rob, Virgin I'm going to be with my wife and son. Yes. In you're traveling. You oh, and yeah. your wife and son are traveling. Oh fuck you! Listen. No way. Do you know why we're do- going to travel, Rob? Because we're signing the fucking adoption. Watch your mouth. I hope they're listening. Uh, we-, <laughs> we are going to in front of a judge, and the judge is going to play this for the judge. No, stop it. You're so judgmental. Listen, though, for real. We're going to become a family. And my point is, we're going to my sister's after, who's in Connecticut. We're going to spend a couple days at her resort, which is in Westport, Connecticut, which is so close to New York. We're going to be right there. Okay, great. And because of Carandinia, we don't have any money in our in our life anymore because we lost that contract and the festival Festivals flopped. are screwing it, right. So, you know, we're not going to be able to go see fish. So, Seth, Perpetual Groove was from Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. And uh, that radio show that I can never remember the name of, I was working on it, and, uh, and they kind of... Uh, oh, the, are you talking about the... I, I think the, it was... The, it's the not Larry Funums, King. The Funums. No. no. Anyway, go ahead. But they kind of helped them out, and... Uh, they did. And got them their start. Well, then they ended up taking possession of them, and that became a whole scene nightmare. We'll talk about that with Brock in their next interview, but... 
Um, <laughs> that that would be a two part. But you know what, Rob? I'm going to tell you. Look at me, <laughs> Rob. Look at my strange eyes. Stuff, man. Look at my eyes. <laughs> For the one time, I'm going to tell you this. I don't care how long that interview is. We'll just go with it. Okay? Yeah, you I, we're going to go deep with Brock. Uh, we're going to go. He's coming to the Variety, and he uh, we, we have a little phone call here with him. And at the end of it, he tells us that he will sit down with us at the Variety. We've got plenty to talk to him about. He's been he's been through the freaking ringer. And we have some news. Before we go to Brock, Seth is going to tell us. All right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen. Our listeners galore, I have some really exciting news for you all. Rob, have you been kind of teasing that we have an announcement that we're going to make sometime soon? Yes. Some of my friends I've been telling outright. <laughs> well, <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> but teasing. Uh, so listen. Listen, folks. WTNS Live. That's right. We have something we're very excited to talk to you and tell you about. This has been in the works for a while. Uh, my, Rob, as you all know, does the research, and my job is to bring well i don't know what's my job anyway <laughs> to stir up business to, to to get us you know you you book the stuff i do i do i deal, varying I deal with levels the of success did we get warren i deal with the business are I, we getting warren i'm told that if he has time and we are on the top of the time, list of time i'm working that show too i'm making time hmm. he can make it he's a rock star let's go warren come on it'll be your best i, interview. I know steph's listening too his wife who is also on serious radio because i think they're listening to us too serious I we are available the, but late, listen, i love the new record here's the news we will talk about the new record the city winery atlanta city winery is getting behind inside out with wtns and we're doing a night of music we're doing a night of podcasting and we're doing a night of philanthropy our first night of this inside out wtns live is going to take place september 19th and it's we are going to be flying in dj logic we're going to do an industry profile interview with steve lopez of widespread panic the uh, tour manager for widespread panic didn't he also work with den company Ah, yes, and he does a lot of stuff. He's done the the main stage manager and uh, artist relations at Bonnaroo and all sorts of stuff. We'll get into that. So we're going to do an interview with Steve and DJ Logic separately. From there, we can get into philanthropy. And for the philanthropy side, we're here for you. The organization that's providing earplugs, protecting your ears at music, concerts, and festivals, we're going to be supporting them, and we're going to be doing our traditional, my traditional bingo, uh, and also other pay-to-play games where you're going to be able to do some fun, wacky stuff and win prizes such as concert tickets, festival tickets, uh, restaurant tickets, and all sorts of stuff. Maybe I can do a trivia, something or another? You can maybe throw in a little trivia. Sure, Rob. We'll talk about that. So the smarties, let the smarties win. Let the dorky, nerdy smarties win. In addition to that, we're going to do a live auction by your host, Seth Weiner, me, Doing a live auction. That's not beer, Rob. That is wine. It's really good. <laughs> a live auction for music-related items that we're here for you. We're going to provide as well as the City Winery. We'll be promoting all of this ahead of time, folks. And after that, after all that, we're going to get to the music portion where Voodoo Visionary, the band that we're about to interview and share with you all. Um, no, we already interviewed them. Right, but I meant on the show. Voodoo Visionary is going to be our don't house. Make, don't make these mistakes when we're, when we're live, please. If I do, you can make fun of me, too. I don't mind. I got, you know, some people say I'm hard. Oh, we've got something to make fun of me about sure. this interview. So so we're going to have Voodoo Visionaries, our house band. They're going to do a night of funk, and they're going to bring in different Atlanta musicians, and guess who's going to sit in with them that whole set? Nick Johnson? Yeah, he'll be there. But DJ Logic? Yes, that's right, DJ Logic. Well, so, don't say that whole set. Leave that right, up to the musicians. I would say alone them. and together. Like, they each play alone, they each play together. The point here, folks, this is a night of music. 
This is not a podcasting, not a philanthropy. And this is a series that's going to continue at the City Winery Atlanta and hopefully elsewhere. And our goal here, and we're talking to several musicians, the caliber of, and I'm not saying any of these musicians are a book, but I want you to understand the caliber of well, Adam. Uh, let it happen. All right, fine. Let it, we'll let's let it leave happen. it at that. We got a we'll long episode. We'll we'll we got many more episodes. The point is, and we this also- series is going to bring, we're going to bring in a musician from of notoriety to Atlanta. They get it. Philanthropy, and it was always going to benefit music-related charities. Excellent. And the jam of the musicians And we were be, talking about something maybe with the Rex Foundation August 9th? Is we're that, can talking we talk about, about that? that. I can't really say too much yet because it's not confirmed yet, uh, but I did have a nice conversation with several different... Um, Bands, artists, etc. And Rob and I need to talk about it after this. And what about there. a benefit at some point for Kofi Burbridge? Uh, he, I know, know he's Rob. It's not to talk about right here. Uh, I I've had conversations. And okay, we can't sorry. Talk about I'm just concerned. Air. I know the guy. I, I know, know the guy. I want to give an update though. I've talked to several people, and he's he's doing he's 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 on his he's on the road, and if he if he stays healthy on the road to recovery, you yes, mean? on the road to recovery. And if he stays healthy and does what he needs to do, he can be a success story like our boy, Yanrico Scott. And we've, we've spoken about it. Yanrico went through all this. Hopefully he can be a guiding light. But let's move along because go ahead. Well, why don't we go ahead and give Brock Butler a call? Are you down with that? Well, let's briefly talk about um, where did you used to book them in Tallahassee, right? I not only booked them in Tallahassee, but um, I they were one of the first bands that I really started to dial in as a promoter um and like they would send me cds and we would promote them and i would be it wasn't always just tallahassee i would be like uh, i got them gigs with other promoters like ethan schwartz and florida and south florida we built a network with like phil benito in tampa and we started this like you know, skipper smokehouse yeah exactly good job and we built and and oria Divi and gainesville and like we started like getting like these promoters together and building a, a tour so these guys could do it for a couple you know make the florida run uh and they were all i mean look man i used to work in irish pub okay and i was the bartender slash promoter because you got to make your money in every end you can p groove would come in and they'd bring their fucking light show which at that time yeah we're talking in you know two year 2000 2001 yeah, it was probably 2001. They already had Huffer, right? Yeah, they had Huffer. And they he were is a light guy to, to this day, right? He's very talented. He's As amazing. a matter of fact, Farrell, what's Farrell's last name at the Variety? I Farrell Jaca? Farrell Jaca. <laughs> <laughs> he's been doing lights forever, and he's not even a big jam band guy, but yeah, he has good. always liked Huffer. He's always said, that kid with Perpetual Groove does an excellent light show. And the other thing about Perpetual Groove, I don't know if you guys hear, uh, if you listen to the show regularly, you hear about my Purge. I go through all these on my cassette collection, and it's fun. They used to do a lot of radio broadcasts here, and it is always fun, thank you, to find one of those old Perpetual Groove radio broadcasts. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would throw down, man. Well, let's, let's just, let's let's just go get to it. it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, get, get him on the phone. We already, we, have, let's, we, don't have to, we already did the interview. God, you're such a, you know, do you know anything about staging? I'm sorry. I, I like to be honest. Without with, further ado, ladies I, I, and gentlemen, I like to be honest with my audience, Seth. That's the difference between you and me. Oh, you know what, Rob? You are nothing but a. All right, here we go. You ain't Brock nothing Butler. but a. Hello. Oh, hey, Brock. There he is. Hello, gentlemen. It's uh, Seth and Rob Turner. Welcome, welcome to the show, Turner and Seth, the BTNS. How are you? Fantastic, man. It's been too long. That goes for both you guys. It really has been, man. It really has been. I'm going to see you at the Variety August 26th, though. Well, I'll see him there, too. I'm man, yeah, I'm stoked, man. Very cool. That's awesome. And I, I haven't seen it since it's got the, uh, the renovations or its makeover, whatever the proper term is. 
You know, I'm a married man with a kid, and I had lunch the other day with Steve Harris, who is the former owner of the Variety, and I had to tell him in person that I haven't been to the new Variety in like two years. since It's been a year, not two years, but I haven't been there either. Well, there's more bathrooms on the main level. There's uh, better sight lines. There's more bars, less lines. The, b- the balcony is completely better. I would say it's a great room for high-energy shows. I, the one time I went to a listening show, it was a little less rewarding. Kind of uh, The security was a little obnoxious, and it wasn't as quiet a crowd as the past. But for a band like you, I think it will be ideal, Brock. So I'm excited for it. We've always had uh, really great shows there. I was actually just listening to one of our New Year's Eve shows from there, the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little drive today. Nice. What, whatever happened to the 3D sound? Remember you guys went on tour with the, it was beyond 3D. It was like 20-dimension oh, sound. Oh, the, uh, t- the surround, speed of surround tour? Yeah. that Didn't you kick that off at the Variety? Uh, I believe we did, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, what happened to that was... You know, as as wonderful as it was to do that at that moment in time, we were our own crew, and I'm amazed that we made it through that whole tour without one of the band members like busting a finger with a, a wrench or whatever. When I say crew, I mean that we flew all the sound, everything. We did oh it all, God. and uh, it, it was uh, quite taxing. It was a young man's game, but maybe we'll get to do that again someday. That was a lot of fun. Well, you, that's the thing about you guys, though, as a young as a young band, you guys always like. It's like as soon as you guys had a dollar to like, you know, pay rent, you're like, no, 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 let's put it into the bus or let's put, you know, you always went the extra mile that's, to push the things forward. That's exactly, exactly what we, or what we did and what I still do. I, every dollar I get goes the uh, extra mile and probably allocated and not uh, the best like adulting direction. <laughs> but let me ask you this. Um, we all know in 74, the dead did their adventurous sonic tour with the wall of sound, but they ended up not making money. Did the, did your, um, because it was such an endeavor to put all those speakers up and, and transport all that stuff. Did it increase your overhead as well? And although it made it musically rewarding, did it cut into your profits on those particular shows? Um, I don't think it did too much, but again, that's because we didn't hire any, extra manpower strong backs like we were our we were our own stage hands we we did it all we would get there with a you know very large uh, box truck and fly all the the pa and lights and everything and we would have done an entire shift uh, you know as a roadie before we even really got to the uh, the music part of it, but man, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Well fortunately you always had Michael Blair and Iende to, to take on seven men's uh, jobs. Who, who oh yeah, yeah. We have the, our, the quality of our friends. They they make one like ten for sure. But the reason why we're calling today, and, oh, wait, and who, I really, who, who the hell are you oh, talking okay. about, Seth? Allende? Okay, listen. If you're a Pigrew fan, you know Michael Blair and Allende. You just do. Yeah, that's. And it. if you don't, you really should. It's a broader audience than that. You might want to set a context there. Okay, Mister Mister uh, Dropping Names. Like Sorry, a fly. Brock. This is this is a bone of contention <laughs> between the two of us. So, anyways, but, uh, but let me like, ask you one other thing. You used to do the Amberland Festival. Would you guys be which your photos own? were popping up on my feed today from memories from Amberland? That's so interesting past, timing. And I'll never forget the Amberland where Rob took me on my. I think it was my, was it my thirtieth. I think it was my thirty fifth birthday or something. You took me on a. We landed at Amberland. That was yeah. the that was the anchor of the gig as a bender. The run, yeah. Oh my god, that was. But go ahead, Rob. Sorry. 
Would you do your own? You had more of, a, of an adventurous light show and, and a sonic presentation at those festivals as well. For those who don't know, it's, it, it was a festival in northwestern Georgia that you would headline. Would you guys also be your own roadies for that? To, yeah, to an extent. That one we would bring in, and as it progressed, we uh, the business model, we tried uh, more and more for, and for the reasons that we learned on the surround tour that you know, as much as, you know, we, we're certainly willing to work hard and things like that, but we we wanted to make sure that uh, our priorities are focused on uh, and staying in solid shape to deliver, because that was, that was definitely a workout, that festival. I, I think I calculated one year if you included acoustic campfire moments that I had a, a guitar under my fingers. I don't even remember now, but, I mean, it was... Uh, probably it was something like 25 to 30 hours of where i was playing literally playing actual you know actual music and singing because i would do my on sunday morning we did the breakfast instead of breakfast and I would, you know, <laughs> then in the afternoon the, they had bratwurst thing yeah <laughs> hey bro yeah, one year for sure are we yeah. any closer to you guys having another amberland than we were when you came off the hiatus Oh, I would say absolutely. I mean, it's that was even you know a conversation, but not a long one because you know stepping back into this for me personally, I had to you know kind of dip my toe in and then then get in the water and you know fully dive in. I wanted to make sure of uh, what I, I was remaining comfortable with and uh, wouldn't uh, jeopardize or even just be you know kind of too taxing on the improvements that I've been trying to implement in my life over the years leading up to the reunion and uh, getting back with it. So that's, uh, it, it's, it's never once been said as like, gosh, well, we'll never do that again. Right. So, it's, uh, you know, some, some talks of, you know, what would a, in a perfect world or, a, you know, what would the dream model be to do it. And, uh, you know, for years we didn't have, other bands even play it unless it was uh, related to the group in some way, like a, a Brock and Friends show, or when uh, when John Ruby was in the band, we had you know guests. His, uh, his former band from Ohio, they came down, and uh, so any weather, artist weather and waves. There, well, they were they were the. I heard you correct. guys were. I heard they were they were so well behaved. They were the best guests ever. Yeah, <sighs> they are, man. Uh, they're fantastic fellas uh, so let me ask you uh, you know musically Brock Amberland served a role for the band in that you guys would try out new things whether they were covers or certain approaches to songs and then you'd kind of continue to tinker with them in a similar way or play the cover in the in the as the year progressed what what show oh yeah what, what show has stepped up to replace Amberland and playing is playing that role for you guys now well, uh, I, I'd say in general, like we've kind of gotten in this, uh, habit or rhythm, if you would, where kind of, uh, like not cramming cause that kind of implies, uh, being unprepared, but we would have, you know, we want to, to, uh, introduce new songs and even like maybe almost too fresh and new material and new covers. If you go back and look over the set list material, it's it's uh, on its own kind of serves a, a chronological order. You can tell when okay that was right around when T 
Two Shores was a brand new song, and even the versions from Amberland, you could tell they were still being worked out in their infancy, things of that nature. And uh, I think that we are applying the preparation and the work ethic that we would do for Amberland that kind of exists now more for everything. So when we go down to a culture room in, in a week, we've been having conversations and, you know, about certain ideas and plans for weeks, you know, starts in email chains and then we, everyone does their homework uh, on their own and then we'll get together and, uh, and, you know, rehearse where we can and, uh, and then calculate in sound checks, the sound checks become the rehearsal time for shows that are several days down the road. That's uh, July 21 and July 22nd at the Culture Room in Fort Lauderdale. Check it out, people. But now you're talking about all this planning. Let's talk about the Baker's Dozen, Post Fish. You know, this is just a great article on Live for Live Music, who happened to be at uh, the presenting. Uh, yeah, I found out I was at Brock's first fish show. That's kind of cool. Oh, wow. Actually, I was as oh, well. Oh, were you really? Yeah, July 3rd. I went oh, on the 4th, yeah. too. It, uh, the 4th was great. You know, with, I actually uh, bought... The, uh, the only lot shirt that I've ever purchased I got from Ethan Schwartz. I didn't <laughs> even know him at the time. but <laughs> Best did, show he, ever. Uh, of course, I know exactly one. what you're talking about. Yeah, it says, yeah, it says worst show ever, and that's the, oh, the yeah, only one there. I ever picked up. So I think you wore that on stage so a few times, it. didn't you? Back in the yeah. day? Um, yeah, I, I wore it once, and Trey wore it on the third. He did. Yeah, he did. That's <laughs> right. So, and, uh, But that, it's just funny to think that at that point, you know, Perpetual Groove existed, but certainly not in the capacity where Ethan would have known me and I didn't know him. So there's some point in the past where I bought a shirt from him. And then and two two years later, were, you're, you're Ben Ferguson sending us CDs and we're uh, promoting the hell out of you guys through Florida. Yeah, I handed some of those out, a bunch of those. Oh, yeah. Those uh, but, are terrific, man. I'm really glad those are around. Oh, hell yeah. But listen, before I, Brock, we really want to we really want to sit down with you and so much have to a talk full, to you about. full interview. And, and I don't know, you guys are coming through Atlanta in a couple of weeks. You think there might be a possible we can sit down with you and actually get really into the Brock Butler? We go deep. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. We go deep, Brock. For, for you, for you guys, but of course. Well, yeah, we'll make that happen. For right, sure, you man. heard it here, folks. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. But while we have you here now, what we want to ask you is about the Baker's Dozen, the post fish shows. Okay. What what are you working on? What what can uh you know what can people look, expect for uh, this type of show? Do you look at this show differently approaching it? Are you working on different material? What do you do with a late night show and after show like that? Well, I I think uh, certainly we take into consideration. It probably won't be a a power ballad heavy set for us. Uh, so Brian, <laughs> you know, Brian Bovosa is not going to be there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> another another vague reference it, that no one um, will understand. It Great. was only to make Brock laugh, Rob. How about yep. a Space Hog cover? And and you succeeded. Um, so the, the set list, uh, which the way that usually goes around is Matt will start uh, with the framework and... Uh, Everyone will kind of, you know, take a glance at it. And, of course, once we actually get to the location, I think people will vibe off of the room. And maybe if someone has a conversation with a, a fan or a friend and they have, you know, a suggestion or a request, we, you know, we'll always add audibles and things like that. And I do know that being in New York, um, we've there's a couple of songs we've discussed that uh, 
are appropriate. the news. Yeah, but it's also not Jay-Z Empire state of mind, but um, but, things that are uh, thematically for for being in the city. And I would expect us to uh, both, you know, mentally and song selection wise we're we're going to want to bring a really good uh high energy set which doesn't mean that we won't do some you know slow it down here there but we'll want to have some power because if you're following a a fish madison square garden show uh i think we're all aware of that people will be uh already Ripe for the pickings following that show. Well, let me, let so me ask how you do we question. dial into that? When you look at doing a show like this, and you play New York, and you've had some really epic shows, and I use the word epic, I know, but you, you've had some really massive shows in New York. Do you look at this as, as going into this as an after show, and you're going to capture a new audience? Do you look at it like, you know, it's going to bring, you know, an after show and capture your audience? Like, how, do you, how does a band or look Or do you just look at it as a gig, you play your best, and it doesn't matter who's there? Yeah, that it's kind of well. It it, it matters, but uh, for me personally, I just is I just know that I want to. I, I believe in what we do, and I think that we've been doing it long enough now that uh, that I, I I know the feeling I have going into it. And I'll just hope that we. Uh, I think there's enough of a connective tissue between uh, fish and professional groove. That, you know, I don't really think that we. Uh, have the, any fishy sound too much anyway and um how about this i don't know i think i think i'm just i'm confident in, in what in what we do as a band and uh you're in a very efficient band i think now yeah. here's a common thread i think you both have a very uh keen and distinct sense of melody for damn sure which often sometimes can be lacking in the jam band world i love jam bands but the, the Fish and Pre-Groove are two bands that understand the importance of melody. Yes, the melody and also, Brock, let's come in. Listen, let's face it. You have the, you have the charisma, uh, some have said, that uh, Jerry has. Uh, had Listen and, to you. And Trey has had. No, people have said this. Although I mean, Seth you, has been gazing at your pictures on Facebook all day. We he did reveal that. Well, listen, <laughs> you know, no one's seeming coming. So, you know, uh, be for real, like, you, you have that... that uh, you know what? What would you say? You have you have that glow about you. You're on your you. own, dude. You just compared him to Jerry. I didn't. I'm not comparing him to Jerry. I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying you have a Papa Bear kind of physique of a <laughs> vibe. I mean, you know. I mean, people, come on, shut up. Anyone that's listening that that has seen you, and especially late night, has, and knows that that you you definitely you have that you have, and that's. I mean, listen. Chad Denny, hey buddy, hey buddy, come on, it's more like hey buddy, uh, hey, yeah buddy, all right, yeah, man. oh yeah. <laughs> all right, let's end with this. Yeah, all right. Enough, enough Seth rambling. Nothing. I'm already in a. I'm a big now, Adam Perry fan. He and I share a love of the slip and surprise Mr. Davis and all that. Go ahead, Seth. What? Oh, yeah, it's funny, you know, Rob. It's uh, I actually believe it or not. I was actually thinking about you just yesterday. Um, I came across on my playlist, and I was thinking about that surprise me mr davis show that you and i happened upon it somewhere up like like rhode island or delaware or right, something, right. I feel like it was. and we just ran into and each other I randomly just, yeah I don't, it's like what what are you doing here what is anyone doing here and it was just <laughs> the most amazing show man it, but and uh yeah you, you came across my thoughts yesterday and pretty much most of the time if i'm 
cranking some, um, you know, Nathan Moore or The Slip or, or Mr. Davis. Or Bob Brothers. Know, eventually, that, just because that show is so great. Ah, oh, that's nice. Well, and Adam has a new band together, too, which uh, he's got some new songs on. Uh, we'll have to... We'll get to that later. But I, there's a story when you were playing a bachelorette party. I, I just learned about this. Oh, my God. And some... <laughs> let's go lady. I don't want to call her a chick. Some young woman... Young hit, lady. She handcuffed herself to Adam. Now, why? And then uh, how did it progress? How did they end up getting on unhandcuffed? <laughs> Was he playing at the time? Please tell us this story. Um, give me the, the context again. Tune We're playing a sorority. And, right. And some woman handcuffed herself to Adam. That's all I know. You said it in a homegrown music uh, network interview like 10 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, yeah. No, that, that happened... He's, Perry, he's been on the receiving end of lots of bizarre things like that. One time at Amberland, it was arranged that during the teakwood breakdown where it's just the bass line, yeah. a whole bunch of panties came flying on stage, <laughs> you know. Teakwood panties. Teakwood pants. And that's, you know, off. but that's, you know, he, he, he's, he's a, I mean, gosh, you know, he's he's a handsome fellow, man, you know. See, a lot of people say I look like him. And, uh, uh, this is it, so wrong. There you go. <laughs> I just like dance into the slip with him. I don't even notice he's handsome. Although I did read his number in the bathroom wall. No, that's weird. So listen, Brock, we're we really want to sit down with you. Um, uh, you know, I mean, listen, if you got the time, maybe even go to uh, Wonder Dog Sound Studios and sit there to go just to re- reminisce on the old album. But uh, I don't think you have the time on this run. Uh, we definitely do want to sit down with you though at the Variety. And uh, and 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 hear you know hear 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 what you've been up to and um and and a lot uh, here at WTNS we're we're really really excited and proud of you to that you made this comeback you got you, the bands back together and it uh, and it's very apparent that you guys are working and working well together so congratulations and writing new songs right yeah and, and yeah you know, and I, and I would like just to say too that uh, that the environment between us as bandmates and friends, I I think it might be as great as it's ever been. That's good to hear. Are you writing new and, songs together? Yeah. Excellent. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that, that's we're in the uh, in the pre-production for you know the next. There's a full-length album, and um, we're we're getting to that point now. And uh, you know, I've I've got material, and you mentioned Adam's other project, which is really awesome, by the way. He's the stuff that he's playing for me. I'm. I'm really excited to uh, to hear it once he puts that out with yeah. automatics and but you know we're just we're laughing we're having a really good time everybody's uh, working hard and uh, it, it's just really nice and I certainly feel really good about it you know stepping back into it you know we can dive all deeper into that when I see you in ATL of course but and it'll be great to see both of you guys too yeah it's man. been I'm too just, long it's been too uh, long we'll go through the whole yeah, ride and, and I and I. And I hope that you'll, uh, when you see me in person, that you'll you'll find me uh, on a on an indefinite upswing. Nice, yes, yes. I'm excellent. feeling pretty all right about myself. Who wrote your feeling first relics right. review, Brock? I'm sorry. Who wrote your first relics review? I, I believe it was you. Yeah. Because yes, I went to your office who, once. Who promoted your first show in Tallahassee? No, bro? I went to their office kidding. once, and it was it was hanging. <laughs> oh, really? In the thing. Uh, well, you know what? Thank no, you I for mean, being on the show without, because we always wanted Robert Polay to be a listener. Oh man! And again, like I mean, you're just you're listing names of just some of the 
the greatest folks, man. Michael Blair, Ayende Bryant, Robert Foley, Adam Perry, Matt McDonald, Ethan Schwartz, Seth Shimon, Rob Turner, Nathan Moore. Good, good people. And that's that's just barely scratching the surface of Well, I I want to I definitely want to terrific folks. Daniel Wilford, remember him? I do, of course. And there was Brock Butler, our old buddy. Good to talk with him again, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that, Rob. Uh, Matter of fact, I'm going to say it again. I said it in the beginning of this interview, I mean, um, intro. Rob, you hear it here, hear it now. I don't care how long that fucking interview goes. We're going we're gonna to go. Well, you know, I often poke fun at the sort of cheerleader journalism that's often associated with jam bands, and we're trying not to do that, and I think what we will go how we'll be able to go through what Brock went through will be a, a fine example of that, you know, because we, we've, we've known him through his whole career, and I think he should feel comfortable and safe talking with us and realize that we have uh, listeners who could help, uh, who could benefit from... Who could be helped. Right, who and could I'm, be helped, thank you, from his uh, experience. Go ahead. Yeah, just... Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm fine. I, there's friends of ours, and I'm not going to mention the names online, that I've talked to lately that sometimes they're in a darker place and... and being especially in, since november yeah and and uh <laughs> it's true though yes but i'm yes but i'm also talking people going through relationship turmoil and and self-pity and all this sort of stuff and business yeah, don't fallings. fall into self-pity with relationship turmoil when one door closes many more is open mm, people what i'm trying to say though Bob is Marley. i'm hearing i'm hearing yes. our friends differently now okay i don't know if it's being 40 and seeing the situation and you're a daddy own. yeah but i hear people and when someone like tells you like that they're not well, sometimes you're like, ah, whatever, you blow it off. But like, no, man, if someone's telling you they're not well, call them. Call them often. It's tough, though, I, to be too invasive, though. Because I feel like I tend to be too pushy and pester people yeah, too much. Yeah, but you're also the guy that you, people find out that, like, your shit hit the fan and no one knows about it for fucking weeks because what? you don't open up. Why does it need to hit other people's fan? Let their fans go on fine. If you are suicidal... Or you are... I'm not, and I, I never will be. And that's why it's okay, and that's what I'm trying to say. But when someone gives you a... Listen, all I'm trying to say is when someone gives you that little bit of, like, a glimpse into their into their shit, and you hear it, don't just fucking brush it off. No. You, listening is the key. Yes. I think listening. Well, listening requires reaching out. Well, like, reaching out, letting them know you're there. You gotta reach out and touch somebody, right? No, but seriously, let them know you're there, but not be... It's the hold on loosely thing. Yes. You know, it yeah. applies here too. Make it clear that I'm available to you, but don't force yourself. I just. But if someone opens up, listen. But let's get to the let's get to this interview because it, when we're going to open up to you, so you motherfuckers better listen. <sighs> we need a we need a swear thing where you throw Why? a quarter. You told me it's, it's too okay. Much. It's too much. I, I, I no. use it for emphasis, not just to fill in words where you can't think of something creative. Use uh, it for emphasis. I'm Jewish. It's called to fill in. Your parents listen to this. No, they don't. They only listen to the beginning and end. Oh. You did great. You look great. Go fuck yourself. Anyway, so <laughs> so here's the here's a fine example of a few things regarding this podcast. Which one? The beginning of this interview. Because first of uh, all, Voodoo Visionary. Yes. Okay. First of all, my inexperience that when I do all this research, that go ahead. I thought you were going to talk about drinking their beer, but go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I didn't. I didn't drink a beer during the entire interview, and then grabbed one at the end and was well. Let's not. It was very odd. Very odd. Right. 
Very odd. Uh, so I had to. I'm sorry, Rob. But I was thinking about how the interview is going to go. This is where I have to get better because I scheme and think of the interview and where I want it to go and what I want to talk about. But then I forget the people's names. I forget the obvious stuff. I called I called Mike Wilson, Matt Wilson. That's understandable because Matt Matt Wilson is, no, stop is our it. boy. No, 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 no. Come but on. Mac, I freaking text with Mac all the time. We're yeah. little we're webcast nerds together. We'll we'll watch stuff and comment on it. And I got his. I called him Zach. I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. It's embarrassing. But here we leave it in. Why do we do that? Because we're not trying to we're not trying to boost ourselves up here. We're trying to entertain you, even if it means us falling on our face in front of our friends. So that's one thing. Also, we see the inexperience of the, the guys in the band, too, because and, and, and you do this, too. In, in broadcasting, one thing you, you try not to do is talk when other people are talking. Because oh, it, I do that all the time. It immediately, I know I do it. Do you see, how, do you see, how, do you see how I stop? That's a seasoned broadcaster stops immediately, whereas unseasoned people just talk louder and try to talk over them like it's a cocaine party, which is horrible. It's not conducive to conversation. But is that a voodoo visionary show? Yeah, voodoo, which is weird because musically they're not like that at all. They don't step on each other's toes. They listen, but they, they do talk over each other a little bit and it can, can make it a little tough. But it's this is a band that has just turning the corner. They've just realized, oh, we've got a fan base. We're starting to sell out shows. And now they're starting to get real serious and they're starting to think about things on a more national level. It's a really exciting and interesting time for the band. It is. And and you take like a band like Spafford, who we talked to briefly. Uh, you did. In the la- you did. Uh, whatever. We, we as the collectively uh, I me. swear one of those questions was a what is your favorite color tease anyway go on you look at a band like that and you see where they're at and let me tell you folks when it comes to atlanta voodoo visionary is that is 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 the next they're the same generation it's like umphreys was to p groove as is well i don't like doing the comparing to another band whatever the fuck i'm trying to say they're then they are voodoo visionary is the next generation of atlanta funk bands sure and they're starting to really get a diehard scene uh, following that doesn't just go to see their shows, but like supports them and really supports them. And there's them. this little social network around them. And I love going That's out to coming to the good old days. Oh, well, you'd like to come. Oh, Jesus, Seth. Really? Don't shoehorn stuff in unless it's good. Come on. All right. Well, listen, that's why we're going to leave that in there because I want to show you how awful See? I am. Yes. All those horrible puns we leave in there isn't to make us look the good. The point is, is that Voodoo, listen, I got to be honest. They throw it out. When down. Rob. Rob, Rob hit me up months before I even knew our engineer, Josh Thane, from Wonder Dog Sound yeah, I've been Studios. pushing for Voodoo forever since we, since we started this podcast. I've been pushing that. Yeah, and thank you, you, thank you, Josh Thane, for all your help and all your work. And, and was I... Wonder Dog w- Sound Studio? Was I hesitant? Uh, at first you were. I was. Because I only wanted to hit like the bigger names. Well, you're I like Waffle. That, yeah, everything's going to be a big name, going to be a big name. It's well, like, I know that people well, are... Let's look, have someone grow with us. Yes, I, and I agree with that. And it took me a minute to, to, to agree to that. But I do feel that still we do need the names because we need the people to listen. And when you look at our wonderful interviews, they're still at under 300. But the, 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 when you have someone with notoriety, you get to the 3,000. So that aside, Rob... You introduced me to Voodoo, and I listened to them more and more. And I'm going to be honest with you. I listened to that new album of theirs, and it's good. I'm not going to say it's great. I'm not going to say it's great. I prefer their originals to their covers. I'm not always big on their covers. I'm not going to say it's great. I'd love to sit down with them and talk about Like, he mentions Red Hot Mama, and it's like, you know. I'm not going to say it's great, but I will tell you it's got potential. And when you listen to this interview, matter of fact, stop right now. Go listen to the album. Then listen to this interview, because what I want to say... Now that you've listened to this, to the album, and you're back, welcome back. Thank you for listening to the album I love on Spotify. Album. I want you to listen. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think 
that what you hear is not this amazing band. I hear potential, and I and I hear great potential. See, that's the way I felt about the first one. Whereas the second one, I feel more like it's a national band now. No, I don't. I don't. Not, not you know why I say that because and I now there's pressure on them to do a good third one. I was on my drive back home from uh, whatever. Doesn't matter where the fuck I was going, but I was in a long drive, and I was listening to the likes of like. Are you, you getting know, paid by the foul word? Charlie Parker to you know my dog's named after James Larry Bird Brown. and Charlie Parker. What's my dog's name? Birdie. Go on. She's right over there. There she is. I, I was listening to a bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff, and in comparison, I think that this is still a band that's got years ahead of them before they really settle in their sound, but they are on the path. They're on it. There's no question. Let's go to the interview. You ready? Play. Finally, we got Voodoo Visionary. If you want to fall right, then you listen up, and we'll take you all back to school. If you want to live a good life, then you listen up, and you know what just a what to do. If you want to act right when we're living it up, and we'll make this a better place. But we got to hold tight till we figure it out. Bring it back to the one, and we do it all together again. Hey, this is Brock Butler with Perpetual Groove. Up next, you got Robin Seth with Voodoo Visionary. We are at the Wonder Dog Sound Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And Seth, I'm very happy to shine a light on these guys. My friends, I'm a fan, and they are clearly on their way in my eyes. And uh, I, I'm already, at a young age, I'm already calling them the patriarchs of the psycho-funk sound. Voodoo Visionary. We're surrounded by Voodoo Visionary. Welcome, guys. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. we got Matt Wilson on guitar. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another one. Yeah, I knew I was going to say Matt Wilson. It's Matt Williams. Matt Williams. You know, our lawyer. Well, let's say, yeah. Rob, Patriarch of the Colonel Bruce Rob. night. So, Rob, on the way here, on the way here, before we even get into this episode, which I'm saying I'm going to call him Matt. So, I think that you did that on purpose, though. No, I think you did that on purpose because we're going to play a game with our audience. So listen, yeah, audience. Are. That's a new game. Listen, what audience. What did Rob fuck up this interview? <laughs> so, and we're going to all of our alternative names. And we're going to go ahead and give away a Voodoo Visionary item on one of them. So be prepared for your future album. Uh, but for real, though, um, Max Schmitz on drums, my text buddy. Hello. Yes. Textual friend. Textual friend. <laughs> Textual friends. <laughs> Jimmy Lynch on bass. You might have seen Jimmy sing the lead with the Riverside Joyride as well. <laughs> And we have Dennis Dowd on keys. Hello. So go ahead, say hello over there. Hey. <laughs> can, you, can you give us an Irish jig, hey. eh? Come on, Dan. And Scott, don't call me Adam McDonald. Don't call me Adam. But I'll be there for dinner. At Perfect. Burger King, not McDonald. <laughs> so we're gonna ah, dollar cheeseburger. We're gonna go back to the start because it's it's very interesting. The whole road of how you guys. Started with a band that with a completely inexperienced singer, and then you be, you have become what Scott Hopkins at MusicFestNews.com. Great writing here, Scott. 
If this band had been around in the early 70s out of Atlanta, they would surely have been scooped up in a heartbeat by Capricorn Records. Repeated listenings reveal layer upon layer of elements. This is simply a superb recording in terms of composition, performance, and sound. And I don't know which album he's talking about, but if you add energy, you could be talking about the new release. Would you guys agree that this is a this new release is crackling with energy? He gave me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Well, that was Scott's writing. It's the way you said it, Rob. The, yeah. yeah. It's the announcement. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you want, you can read stories to Daryl at bedtime. Go from Coach Rob to bedtime, Rob. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm still thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it captures a lot, though. I think this album captures so many genres and so many like styles of music that we love. And I just think that we, you know, kind of pulled from as many strings as we could and brought them to what we, like, grew up doing, you know? Well, that's, that's Jimmy Lynch talking. He's the bassist. Now, you met Zach, the drummer, when you were in fourth grade, and then it seems like you were the link that you... That's Mac. Mac, the drummer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My buddy, my text buddy. But you also had Mike Wilson. Excuse me, Sam. Yeah. You knew Mike Wilson separately as well. I did, yeah. And, my, and you, there was a Zach involved, Mike's buddy right. Zach, who was the original guitarist. Actually, so what yeah. happened was I actually moved into town... And like we all went to, I actually went to high school. I moved in town. I didn't know anybody, but I actually had empty, uh, empty basement, and like I just collected a bunch of gear, and I had everything set up for everybody to come over. So like what I used to do in high school is I used to have like these jam parties at my house, and everybody come over and play music. <laughs> and I actually met Mac, and um, through and Zach, through Zach actually, yeah, yeah. Zach met and because um, me, Zach, Zach, and Jimmy were in a band starting like eighth grade, eighth grade. And it was terrible, but we would play music in my basement all the time because I we was had, a drummer. We had a damn blast doing it. Oh, man. Yeah. And then, yeah, one day Zach was band. like, hey, met this new kid, Mike. He says he's got some stuff in his house. You want to go jam? And, as, and then... As, Sounds like we're talking about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some stuff. But, but I, I've been there every at least twice a week since then. Yeah, yeah you're still, so, still a place to jam. Yeah, right? yeah and that's the thing is, uh, like, we've been... Like, I've now known uh, Jimmy and Mac for 10 years now, and we've been basically, if it was after show or during the week, like, we were always, like, getting together and just, like, jamming, and, like, we actually were just getting getting together and playing. Like, we really never, we had a band, but we weren't, like, booking gigs or anything like that. It was just, like, we were just getting together and, like, having fun and just doing whatever and kind of being experimental, I guess. And Who was singing? No one at the time. It's the thing. It's like it was all instrumental in the beginning because we actually we were all learning Zach our instruments. Was, Zach would sing for a Zach while. Zach was singing for a while. Yeah, that's right. Zach yeah. sang a little bit. Zach sang a little bit, but we were all learning together because we all, you know, we were seventeen. So at seventeen, like, you know, we were all trying to figure out like what we were trying to do. Like, we were still being influenced by a lot of different music and stuff like that. So it ended up at your first kiss. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> you but um, <laughs> but yeah. So basically, I think it was probably a couple of years after that because, like, at one point in time, you know, everybody goes to college, and like me and Jimmy were just hanging out, and um, <laughs> and like, cool. No, Jimmy, no, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy graduated college. So. My boy Mac went down to Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Mike went to music school for a little while. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I tried going to college. It was weird. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like, we basically... I lived in Tennessee for, like, four years, and I actually... I left, like, trying to go play gigs in Tennessee, and that place is a... It's a massive 
you know, cesspool of music. It's awesome, but it's impossible unless you got your foot in the door somewhere. You're talking Nashville, then? Yeah, Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I met some great people up there, and um, I ended up just saying, like, I'm going to move back. And when I moved back, um, we all kind of decided to, like, get this, make, do something serious. And then it probably was, like, maybe a year after that, after, like, having written some songs, like, we actually, you know, met, got Scott. Jimmy brought Scott, and he's like, I got this guy who actually can... He says he can sing, he can write lyrics, and we we're like, well, great, because I can't write lyrics, and neither can anybody else at that time. And um, It's all changed since then. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all changed now, but then shortly after, Scotty, actually, before we met Dennis, like, we booked our first gig August 1st. I remember that yeah. me and Mac had tickets to um, the, the, string <laughs> the String Cheese, cheese singing, uh, what in was Oregon it? At, at, uh the Peacock Place. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Horning's Hideout. Horning's Hideout. We had the, it was the last year they did Horning's Hideout. And me and Mac had tickets, and we got booked at Smith's Old Bar August first. And me and him literally were like opening for Johnny Awesome, yes, right? Sir. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. we literally were like, me and Mac talked to each other on the phone. I remember, and I was like, dude, what do you want to do? And he goes. Well, if we want to do this music thing, we probably should play the gig. Good <laughs> <laughs> like, answer. It was our first real gig. Everything yeah. before that had been. We played gigs, but it was totally improvisation. We maybe did two or three covers. We had no material. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, you guys are musicians? Well, I've got a grocery store I want you to play at. So we went and played Harry's Farmer's Market and did all improv. We went and we played... I played uh, bass at that show. Yeah. I had yeah. a rugby game. People yeah. a rugby game. Bobbing up and down down the aisle, picking their fruit out and stuff. Yeah. Organic jams, while you buy your organic vegetables. <laughs> yeah. We did a children's health care of Atlanta benefit. Well, going back to the grocery store, is that when you first juggled melons and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a unicycle. He really did. Mm. Actually, yeah. I think there was, was involved. There was a unicycle that was packed up in the car at one point. There was. But yeah. I need a clarification, though, because I thought, I th- I thought you weren't singing... Like you had eight Scotty years. wasn't part of any. No, 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 no. <clears throat> but when you the first you get the first gig. That was so that was yeah. so basically. We called Scotty, him and said, "Hey, so we got a gig. Can you sing for us?" Right. So I, I was literally I was a roommate with Scotty in college when I first went to college, and we like. And you guys are rugby buddies, right? Yeah. Right. So I, we went. We were playing national rugby. championship. <laughs> yeah, like, love, you won a national championship in rugby in yeah, life we, university. Yeah, Let's life get that university. Out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, I won. I won too. I won a sevens in a fit, like two different. Types of rugby, but we don't have to go into rugby. Into, yeah, right. I do have a rugby question, but go on. I'll go okay. to it later. I got a ruby question, but I'll save that for the jeweler. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we were roommates. We just, uh, you know, we, you know, after in our downtime, we just play together. And, yeah. um, you know, we started writing these songs, and mm-hmm. Scotty would add these harmonies that just work so well. Even did you do those harmonies while you're playing rugby? We would really terrify the the yes. opponent every time. Is that how you guys yeah, won? Is that right. your secret? It's kind of it was like, like, like they would be running at me, but then looking at him like, oh my god, he's such an angel. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I'd smash him. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It'd usually be the other way around. <laughs> but yes, Look, there was there was that one rugby party. That, yeah, it's pretty oh, I don't know how it happened, but <laughs> we decided to go play at this party, but we didn't bring any amps. Right. Like I brought a drum kit, everybody else had acoustic guitars. Yeah. And it was a rugby party, so it was rowdy and loud. And so it was basically drums was the only thing you could hear unless you were sitting right next to the acoustic guitar. But everybody had a blast and liked it and then Scotty after that show was like, Hey man, like 
I've been singing a little bit with Jimmy, and we're, we're it's kind of fun. We're doing good together, and I don't know what I got, but I know I got something that's good, man. And if you guys ever need a singer or anything, let me know. I would love to come sing. So that it, when we got this gig at Smithsville Bar opening for our friends Johnny Awesome, we're like, well, we should probably call that guy Scott and get him over here to sing. And he came over to rehearsal, and we wrote our first two songs. What like, songs are those? Parasite yeah. and Salt, Salt. And Salt yeah. which were originally the same song. Salt was actually yeah. the first song we ever wrote. Yeah. 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 And they were originally the same song the first time we jammed. We we just got together and we were like, well, let's play something. And we started jamming and Scotty started singing lyrics over it. And eventually we worked it out where we split it into two separate songs. And those were the only two originals that we played at that first gig. Yeah, and that, that was the funny thing, though, because that's... Yeah, as I, Rob, you know, is like, and I think a lot of people know now, is that like, going into that show, like, you know, I had just been getting to know Scott and everything else, and I was like, oh, sweet, like, I singer, performer, and everything, all this other stuff. After we played the show, and the show was as good as, like, a first band's first show can ever go. I mean, it's like, you know, we didn't fuck up that bad. And, we had a bunch of people there. And yeah. Scott gets off there and he goes, yeah, it was amazing, man. I've never, ever sang live before. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, what? What is, what? are you kidding me? You've never, you've never, before, you've never been on, he's like, I've never been on a stage in my life. And we're like, what is going on? Not even once. Yeah. We are like, oh, wow. Well, you did good, Bubby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Take it till you make it, baby. Yeah. Now, Dennis isn't in the band yet, on keys, right? Oh, right. No, at this point. Yeah. And you had been looking on Craigslist for, for people, but... No, it was, it was, it was not like a looking, no, it was just like we looked and like it was funny because we had talked to a couple of different people um but we had never tried out anybody like the whole tryout thing seems so weird and i feel like that's like i don't know it was just weird and uh we had people sending us recordings and yeah stuff, though, but it wasn't anything that we were that made us want to go and invite them to practice right <laughs> i mean you can go into that then i'm sure you can yeah. how you ran into yeah that. dennis and then you went to one of their shows right there's something to do with heathen at smith's or something well yeah so um i was moving up to atlanta i got got this job in atlanta from auburn yeah i went yeah. to auburn uh oh, yeah. Very so was, thank you very much yeah. <laughs> um yeah so it was a couple months after after i graduated and moving up to atlanta and so i just go on craigslist i'm looking at the you know, they have the musician section, and it says, you know, funk, jam, band, looking for keyboard player, and they were like, you know, we like, you know, string cheese. Um, Redheads, you know. and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, the wrong section on the... Bring bring the wrong section. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was like, oh, that's cool, I'll, I'll call these guys. So um, I called the number, and it was Mac, and he was like, um, yeah, we've got, we're actually playing... We've got this show at Smith's. Um, I guess different show at Smith's. Different show at Smith's. Probably this like was a in year later. March or April or something. Spring, player show spring 2014. You had three keyboard players show up? Yeah. Yeah, three, yeah. three different people wanted to be in the band. <laughs> yeah, so it was actually the first week that I'd moved to Atlanta. That Saturday was the show. So I came out to the show and I was like, yeah, these guys are cool. And uh, yeah, The Heathen was one song that, that stood out to me that I was was really uh really liked a lot and uh you know talked to the guys after the show and they were like all right well you want to come jam on monday mm -hmm. um a couple days later so went up and jammed with them and then uh after that i kind of just stuck around <laughs> <laughs> 
and I want to point out something about Scott because I've talked to veteran singers or been around experienced veteran singers who are can be very quick to be reticent about other singers coming on stage with their band. And here you have a guy who'd never performed live before, who had every reason to be insecure about his position, but he's more than happy to have Vanessa come in and sing with you. Can you pronounce your last name, oh, Vanessa? Granero. Vanessa Granero. Oh, who's a wonderful. Fantastic. Oh, my God, she is amazing. Um, she helped me, actually, learn a little bit about my own voice and uh, my own confidence and that kind of thing. That's what... That's what I, I feel like um, whenever we have um, new vocalists come in, I am always learning. I actually want to learn how to sing backup. I want to learn how to, you know, engage a, a higher harmony, really, with the voodoo stuff. That's, you know, maybe third record, maybe. We're still working yeah. on that. Well, you also have Riverside Joyride to sing backup. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm always learning. Like, that's my, that's my, my favorite thing. Um, is, is trying to figure out what we're actually getting at when it comes to all these new people coming in. Because, uh, you know, these guys would always be like, oh, hey, we're going to have this person come in. We're going to have this person come in. So from my perspective, I was like, I'm just learning how to be part of this, um, um, yeah, all unit. Yeah, it's because, like, you know, it's uh, everything that we do is uh, jammy. We're always... Um, you know, coming up with new parts it is, and it is pretty fluid. Of a, of it really a, is. You know, like the five of us are always at the shows, but then we have anywhere between just the five of us, and frequently there's eight with Jose and Martin and Ben, our percussion and horn section, and then Ooh. the biggest we go been beyond like that, like or twelve. I yeah, think. yeah. yeah. On, yeah. on the record, the new the new there's, album on Harmony, we have twelve people. Yeah. On, yeah. On that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go back for a second. There, you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, bringing in the horns. But the horns have become becoming more and more a part of your sound. Would, would you agree? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, we always wanted a horn section. Yeah, yeah so. and I think that's like um, I was actually listening to the record on the way over here when we we're doing this interview, and I was like, because I haven't actually listened to it in a while. And but um, it's funny because you know usually I feel like whenever bands, and especially like bands we like, like they'll like bring horn sections out. And and everybody loves a horn section. Like every, I mean, if you you know, everybody always digs it. But it's, it's funny. T- it's funny to yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a horn. But everybody sometimes they'll have a horn section and they're always just doing backup stuff. Like they're mm-hmm. just back there laying down whatever they're told to lay down. And the one thing I think I like that we did with this record was that the first two songs. No, I'm sorry. After the it's like the first three songs. The second and third track, there's actually a, um, there's one keyboard solo in the first song, and then the, the next two are both saxophone solos. So it's the first thing you hear as like as like the expressionary concept on the record is actually from somebody that's not even part of the band normally. <laughs> right. From Martin Anderson, from yeah, the Mar- and Martin. And it's like I was actually yeah. that's, that's actually like I got through those two, and I was just like, damn, it's like those are such good solos. But it's like <laughs> from the first record. You know, there's none of that on there. It's, you know, it's not really, really present. So, like, with us and like, having a horn section, it's like, we have a horn section, but we are also wanting them to, like, you know, express themselves within what we're doing and not just sitting back there playing the horn parts that they were really told to play. You know, we want them to actually get engaged and be and feel like they're actually part of it.
actually writes the part. And Martin, you know, yeah. Like he writes in... That could have found better you know, players. He yeah. charts them out. Yeah, he yeah. charts them oh, yeah. out. He writes, that, you know, Martin, all, he does an awesome job. He's he saved the our ass on, on tour. Session. Oh, yeah. Because, like, oh, yeah. we played in Alabama one time, and we, like, yeah. didn't, couldn't bring our horn yeah. section. And we had to hire horn players. And Martin's like, oh, I got you. Yeah. I wrote out all the charts. We didn't realize we had a voodoo horn Bible. At first, I heard this, and I was like, I don't believe that this is going to work out as well as it could. <laughs> we were on the road, hired up, and it was above and beyond what we thought. Like I, mm. I even remember looking at Mac. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I can't believe that this actually lottery. worked. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy. It's like a, you know, it was a gold mine. And so like they found us, Martin. Was it? I think it was Martin. Martin was came there. Up, yeah. Came up to us. We did a rooftop Mar- show on the <laughs> Georgia Martin Theater. Martin and Paul Nelson. Yeah, yeah, rooftop show on the Georgia Theater, and with Universal Psy, mm-hmm. who the Dabblers yeah, frequently Dabblers. collaborated with back then, and Martin and Paul Nelson, who plays trombone on the record, they both came up to us and they were like, hey, you guys ever need a horn section? Call us. And we are like, oh, we just happen to be looking for a horn section. <laughs> and so like, mm-hmm. ever since then, we've been oh, playing yeah, with those yeah. guys, and it's it's just been the perfect fit. Just yeah. same mm-hmm. way Dennis came in, and we never had to look for another keyboard player. Martin came in. We never had to look for another saxophone. Paul plays the trombone. They found Ben, who plays the trumpet, and we've never searched beyond them. We don't feel the need to. We haven't had well, to fire anybody. Well, so yeah. let me ask you two questions on that. One, uh, when you're booking the gigs now, or the gigs are getting booked, are they being booked specifically with the horns? Because you, or is it, it a surprise at that point? Like you can bring them on, and you will. Yeah, do you have to make it clear. Um, so yeah. our club gigs. They just kind of book the band, and then we let them know we're going to be five piece, six piece, eight piece. Some eight piece with a twenty five percent entourage. The, the <laughs> private gigs, uh-huh. like, like fraternity gigs and wedding gigs and stuff like that. For those listening, the ones that actually pay really good money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they yeah. will typically request, say, we want a band with horns, or we mm-hmm. want these specific songs, and so we have to go in and say, hey horn section you guys available to do this gig because we're getting we're either getting paid extra to bring horns on or we're only going to get the gig if you got if you guys yeah. can come well i understand and the sorority gigs the fraternity gigs want the horns but the sorority gigs they say they don't want it, the band's too horny second question on this though is your fans then what about your fans when they're going to see the shows if they go see a show one day, and they see the horn section, which we just talked about, adds all this, and they go the other, the next you know, week or whatnot, and the horn section is not there. And the analogy is the lettuce analogy, and I hesitate to say this because I love lettuce, especially now. It's not as big a deal because they've really emerged on their own. But there was a period there where they would uh, come yes. and Krasno would not be in the band, right. and people yeah. would be pissed yeah. off. Yeah. Now it's not I'm as big a deal now because lettuce with or without Krasno is pretty established at this point. Yeah. But there it's was a period a, where people solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you'd you get worried that your fans are going to see you and then come back and see you without the horns and be like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Well, no, I think they're excited to come to the show and be like, oh my god, what are we going to see? Well, like What's going to happen? Who's going to be there? They don't know how horny to dress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't really oh, announce don't. whether it's going to be with or without horns or with or without percussion. Mm-hmm. But we tell our close friends. But we we did, at the end of last year, we did a pair of shows in Atlanta. In November, we opened for talk at the Variety Playhouse. And then in December, we opened for Carl Denson and Jimmy Herring at Terminal West. And the first show in, in November at Variety Playhouse, we had... 
the eight piece band, the full deal. And, and there's a video, really professionally shot video from that from that performance on YouTube. Yeah, we'll tweet that out. It was awesome. It was a sold out show. We had the best time we've ever had, and it went great. And then the the next show, like two weeks later in December, like early December, we got a call two days before the show for because it's the same promoter, and they were like, hey. Um, we're looking to fill some time before Carl Denton and Jimmy Herring take the stage. You guys want to open? So of course we were like, "Hell yeah, we want to open." But yeah, they I was said, like, "Hell yes, I want to." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that day. What kind of question is it? <laughs> <laughs> so you either don't have to buy a ticket. We all sold our tickets. I sold out. So, but, but they with. It's a smaller room, smaller stage, and Jimmy Herring and Carl Denson had a lot of shit on it stage. It is a tiny they universe, move. you know. Like mm. So, so the the whole stipulation was: well, we can only fit a maximum of five band members on stage. Can you do the show without mm. the rest of it? And so we were like, you know, as much as that broke our heart, we were, we played the gig, and it was just the five of us. And after that show, people came up to us and they're like, "I saw you two weeks ago at Variety with." the horns and the percussion it was amazing and then tonight was different but I loved it just as I much I think that mm-hmm. Jake actually said that though because Jake came up to me after the show and he's like because Jake is always from if for as long as I can remember Jake's always seen us with horns he's seen us, usually we always bring the horn section on Owl 5 or bring it anywhere else but Jake came up to me and he was just like I actually haven't seen you play without the horns in so long and I almost think I like it better sometimes and I'm like well you know the horns like definitely add an element but like People enjoying it without the horns is like is awesome the, too. The five of us have which Jake is this? It's a it's a uh, Jake fucking mayor. Um, that's his Facebook. Name. Yeah. I know. Just, yeah. I, I just know him as Jake. Funk yeah. City. Mm-hmm. Funk yeah. City. Yeah. Funkcity.net. Yeah. But um, the five of us just we we can jam and improv and you know you add other musicians' horns and stuff and it adds a whole another element where there's got to be parts mm-hmm. and they've got to be playing together and stuff like that. That's what I say with. Drums, bass, guitar, keyboard, and then a lead vocalist. Like when we go off, we can. Everybody's got their own section that doesn't necessarily, you know, conflict with the other section. So we can just all play what we want, it and it's be, kind of fun. We can die from a higher board of us. Yeah, yeah. The five of us, like sometimes, it's like it's easier to get a little bit more exploratory than having to worry about four other different types of sounds coming in and trying to figure out how to lay into that sometimes, especially considering that, you know, Jimmy, you know, um, Mac and Dennis and I have been playing for a while. We kind of, like, know, like, when... If we have to jump off the diving board, we're not scared to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the singer has to know, too. I mean, And that's the biggest... That's, that's, the, that's, been, that's, that's been the that's biggest that's thing that we've had is because it's, like, it's so hard. There's been, people, there's been people that come up to it. us and they'll talk to us and they'll be like... I know they've told Scott this. They're like, man, like, how do you like deal with sometimes them like tapering off? Like, we did a we did Red Hot Mama in mm-hmm. Asheville um, by Funkadelic, and it was twenty seven minutes long, and it was like we just didn't ass. really. It was badass, but it was like, but it was like I, everybody coming to Scott after was like, how do you play? The how do you for deal so long? with guys who just like how do you, <laughs> what, do you what do you do in thirty minutes? <laughs> he goes next door and gets a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If only he knew. It's funny, but Todd Snyder talks about it. Well, he's talking about it to other people, not not us yet, because interview avoiding Americans so far. But <laughs> no. he's a singer songwriter, yeah. And now he's in a, a band that improvises really well, and he had to learn, you know, how to. He actually made me laugh. Oh, I made you laugh. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's a guy who's used to controlling the show. Now he has to learn. And, and you, it, the, the cues can be really subtle and can be really quick. I mean, do you ever find yourself having having to rush up to the mic? Oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. Every, oh, yeah. Do the Bob Weir sprint. Even yeah. last week. My tongue coming. Any day. Oh, every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way every time. I, I, I it's like a heads-up oh. attitude. We've, we've, we, try to, uh, we try to attract this heads-up attitude where everybody knows... I know when I need to be looking at everybody else because, you know, everybody's got their little tick or little, you know, trade where it's like, okay, here we go, guys. And, you know, there's a buildup or there's a diminish or there's something there that signifies it. But, you know, if I'm getting it up there, sometimes I'm like in my own world thinking about weird stuff. Like, how's my dog doing, you know? Whoa, what am I doing that for? You know, and all of a sudden, boom, they're into it. And I'm like, okay, I'm right here. Have you missed the lyric ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Last weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had the, at the festival? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Off the charts? Yeah, well, like, improv, well it was funny because, like, you know, we were, we were rehearsing the song, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and, like, you know, honestly, most people, most people <laughs> don't know, like, the structure, the structure got, like, you know, thrown in the egg grater type of thing, and it was, like, and we figured out what we were doing. It was like we had to sit there and then, you know, kind of dial it back a minute just to figure out where we all were collectively. But, you know, that stuff happens. And, like, nobody right. else ever notices it. But we're up there like, mm, you know, yeah. where, where, are, where, where are we trying to go? One of the thing? funniest parts of that whole set was uh, during Life During Wartime. Um, That's what I was talking about, yeah. So the third verse befuddles me every time. But... As soon as I hit that last stanza before the chorus, a ball hits me on the head. A beach, a, a, a beach ball. No, yeah, we could think it's a bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Are you sure it was a beach ball and not an orange? Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it might have been, been a tomato. My buddy said he had an heirloom Thank potato. It's uh, <laughs> 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 ready for me. So yeah. the beach ball hits you. And, um... You know, it comes out, you know, I changed my hairstyle so many times now. I don't know what I look like, you know. And, you know, that hits me on the head right before I remember that little thing. And it's just like, I, and, you know, sometimes you're up there, you're jazzed, you're, you're so energetic, trying to, like, you know, cultivate the information that you know. It's kind of hard, you know, because I'm moving around there a lot more than I'm used to. Having a great time. The crowd is really interactive I'm you know very entertained myself I think the Sweetwater 420 crowds are great <laughs> that was, yeah. oh man they're great oh they're great but yeah but yeah just yeah our, fan, our fans kick ass too yeah they yeah. do yeah. 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 we love you let's talk a little bit about that because things are shifting gears and I'm gonna let Rob uh, well just one quick yeah. thing on life during wartime at the, at the Sweetwater 420 yeah, yeah, fest because then widespread played it and even though I hadn't seen Voodoo Visionary the day before the last time I had seen life during wartime get performed live was Voodoo Visionary so there I was hanging with Voodoo Visionary watching widespread do it <laughs> Yeah. And then my joke was they're covering you, and and, and yeah. Mike thought that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, really. that is funny. Yeah. So but, speaking uh, of your fans now, um, you guys have gone from you talked a lot about Atlanta venues, a lot of you know Atlanta, based Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Oh. Um, you guys are now uh, a regional band. You're playing a lot of gigs. 
Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that because you're the next the next progression is of course becoming a national band where you know where what you're doing now from what our perspective we're seeing is going to pay off and I'll explain this by saying where you're going to go is to be opening for larger acts on tours like Humphreys McGee or something like that. But current I'm that, saying that's booked now, but maybe it is. I don't know. Vince, maybe. <laughs> but, but the strategy-wise, strategy right, I want to talk right. about this because I think right. you guys are nailing. When I saw you guys at the Aisle 5 uh, CD release show, I saw two bands I never heard of. But those bands have weight in the markets that they play in. Bingo. And you guys right. brought them in and you did the gig swap thing. And you did it in a way where it was very natural and it was a very good thing. But then I did a little more research. Yes, I did, Rob. And I found that you guys <laughs> do this more frequently than a lot of bands say they're going to do. A lot of bands say it, they do it on one or two gigs. But you guys are building this. So let's talk a little bit about your business strategy uh, and how you're going to get yourselves and from... how you choose the bands to swap gigs with. You have to be careful with that too, right? And it's all weird. So everybody's pointing... Everybody's pointing at my boy Mac. <laughs> Get so. it, Zach. <laughs> Zach and Stain. <laughs> well, actually, like a couple years ago, we teamed up with our, our buddy Brett Peretz, who started a company called Don't Fret Entertainment out of Florida. And it's been a, a really awesome relationship between us where... He books gigs, and we also book gigs on our own. And we He's the one I met last night. Yeah. Okay. I introduced you to him last night. And, um, but his strategy and our strategy were exactly the same from the get-go. And so the whole idea is that it's a, it's a music community, and we have friends that play music in other bands, and we love joining forces. And when we play shows, we'll have people sit in. And when we go to other people's shows, they have us sit in. And so... We've extended that to be sort of a regional thing where when we go play with people, you know, we'll open up for them in their market and then they come over and they open up for us in our market and it's a mutually beneficial It is, experience. but there's, there's a cost that goes to it because either you're paying these bands on your gig enough that it's worth their while or the gig swap literally is, look, this is our show, we're going to you know, give you something, but... We expect the same amount when we go play by you, and it's probably just enough to get gas and maybe a taco. Right. That Sometimes, have, actually, you know, that's funny though. And like, we actually, we've been, <laughs> that we, I mean, that's that's definitely happened before. And we, I feel like, for the most part, we've been like pretty generous in that sense. Like, we played a show with Captain Green out of New Orleans one time, and they're awesome. They're an amazing band. Oh, yeah. We, at all five. Yeah, at all five. And it was back, like, before, you know, we were... It was before we were filling out all five. It was our we, first headlining game. Yeah, yeah, I think it was our first yeah. headlining show there. And, like, we had, like, a, a, a pretty good turnout, but it wasn't, like, Maybe enough to do people. us. And basically they came to us and they're like, we're going to cut you a check for this much. And then for this much, like, you know, and, we're, and it'll be... And we're like, all right, well, you know, next time we'll make sure that we do this right. But instead, like, we kind of were just, like, they had to drive all the way from New Orleans, so, like, we gave our pay to them. Mm -hmm. And we were, like, you know, it, it only ended up amounting to about, like, $300. We were, like, look, it'll get you back home, and it's a little bit of cash, and, like, we're, we're, we're 20 minutes away from home. And let's face it, so, it's good to have friends in New Orleans. Yes. It is. Oh. And that's the thing is, like, and, I, and like, we... In, well, they're from Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh? Close enough for jazz. But isn't it challenging, yeah. though? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it challenging, well, that's just though, you know? that... Um, Minus the monetary side and stuff. Here, you just drove to Baton Rouge, right? What if you go and you do a gig swap where you know you bring them here and they Nobody and they play a great gig, 
and and get to see you know they they're playing with the crowds there, and then you go to Baton Rouge, do all that, and there's you you get you're playing from nine to nine forty five, and people don't show up till eleven. Yeah. I think that we do we do serious vetting. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> very very great vetting. The Voodoo Advance Crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like we we don't book gigs with strangers. We get to know what the songs are like mm-hmm. and what the music's like, and make sure that it it works. Because uh, even, I mean, especially more recently, people hit us up when they're like coming to Atlanta. Our name's out there in in this market, so they say, "Hey, we've booked a gig at Red Light Cafe or Smith's Old Bar, and we need an opener. Do you guys want to do it?" and 90% of the time, it's like either we're already booked in Atlanta and have our own show going on, or it's not something that we'd be interested in. Well, you can't. You gotta have to. You have to starve your market a little bit. You know, that's yeah, a part of it. But we always, we always respond with, "We can't do it," but here are a bunch uh-huh. of great buddies, bands that would know. they benefit you to get to know. That are looking for gigs. And that's the thing. Know, I think that's like, the hardest part about sometimes doing the the gig swap thing is that. You know, sometimes you'll go to a market like we just did, like a run with like with Soul Mechanic, and um, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, or Chattanooga. I can't remember. If it was Chattanooga. Chattanooga, yeah. And they're an amazing band, and we did like a three-day run with them. And you know, it's like you do that run with them, and it was a great run. Like great guys, had a lot of fun, good crowds, and everything else. And then it's like you know, on our side, it's like you know, we're up to, we want to like we love those guys so much that we were like we want to you know, get them back in here. But it's also, like, what you're talking about with our business plan is, like, you know, it's not going to happen instantaneously because, like, with our market, it's, like, we will usually play somewhere and then we starve it for about three months to four months and then we'll come back there. And it's, like, depending on how the deal goes, you know, we don't know if it's going to work out for that time that they're going to come back here. But it's always in the back of our head that we're going to try and at least get... It's on the list of to team up with. And that comes... That brings Brett and his agency back into it because he's... He's, He's got more contacts than than we do, and they're widespread across. He's he's based originally out of Tampa, Florida, and he manages a band called Displace. That before we ever knew Brett, Displace was like headlining festivals that we would go to and play at, and so you know he's well versed in sort of the southeastern up and coming band scene, and so. Especially Florida, it's a massive scene. Especially Florida, and so he he can sort of advise us on this is a good band to pair up with. You're gonna like what they do in their town, and I think you'll help them. You can offer them more than other bands in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a you know it's like we we have to pick and choose, but then it's also we're totally open to just. Yeah. Playing with people that we like their music. And well, well, he also gets you the unusual gigs, which allow you to like when you you're going to play at the lacrosse games, and that allows you to play the market. But it doesn't really count as a as a play, you know what I mean? So you're still starving the market, but you're getting a little more money. And it's my understanding that you guys are still not drawing money off the band. You're choosing. This is a very fish move, too. I might add. That you're taking the money you make and putting it right back into the band, and you're still all keeping your day jobs, even though you're getting to the point where you probably could live off the band. You'd rather put the money back into the band. Is that at all accurate, or is that antiquated? Mm-hmm. I haven't made one dime off the band. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's good, though. I mean, it's building the product. It is. It's, it's, and it was it helps it, with our decisions. It, like it was. You want to go play a gig for a hundred dollars? If we were doing it for the money, we'd be like, hell no. 
but and we're not, so it's like a hundred dollars, but what else, you know? Right. Who are we playing in front of? What kind of beer you got? Yeah. Yeah. Well it was also you know, it was a discussion that we had like when we were like actually getting serious and starting to play a lot more and like we never ever did because we always it was like from the beginning we knew that we couldn't like just take money and we've seen we had seen bands that we had like that we had respected and stuff like that where like they play these gigs and they just take the money and run and like they you know there was never ever you know money talks so it's like you know there was never ever any like push for everything else so like when we actually were putting the band together like we had a sit down meeting about this where like until like there's x amount of money in in the bank account we are not going to take any money from this and then it's been the same conversation that we've had with everybody who's played with our band right and and so basically it's more so that like it's more so that like when we go on the road you know, it, it makes it makes sure that you don't have to worry about where we're going to stay or have enough money to stay where you're going to go or, or how much gas or how much gas is going to be. Yeah, you know, it's like it's not coming out of anybody's pocket. We're able to do we just things, we just know. bought a brand new van last year. We bought a new trailer last year. We funded this album here at Wonder Dog Sounds last year. Georgia Case is about to give us we, some stuff. Yeah, we're going to do some Georgia Case. Upgrade for. our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to need the money for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. like we wouldn't have the stuff that we have. And, like people ask us, like, we don't have really? to throw down. For yeah, it. Okay. yeah. We're, we're playing, we're working our asses off, but... We're, we're playing so that we can play. We yeah. get... We're, we're playing the game. And Chris Kirkland told us, don't buy your light show, lease it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you know. I heard that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and we've seen, and we've seen that with people before, where they buy, they invest in light shows before, and it's like, you know... It becomes obsolete It, it becomes a thing where... You, you can find... There's two amazing light guys in the Southeast that you can hire. There's Nick Deggs. And Gable Airmore, like, yeah. that's all you need in the southeast. Like, if yeah, you can get right. those two on a date, then you're gravy. They're the best like LDs in the southeast right now, in my opinion. So, I'd agree. Yeah, they're amazing. Can you tell the frat party in Tuscaloosa story? Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, man, that was awesome. <laughs> that was honestly yeah, probably yeah, the hardest I've ever. Scotty had, had the oh yeah, Mac had, 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 had the best view. view. Had, had the best view. view. Okay, that's fine. So we're playing this this gig in Tuscaloosa, and we normally we don't have the drums side view. Yeah, By the way, this right. story goes out to Ariel Ramoldi, the host of the Jambians podcast, who came up through Tuscaloosa. This one's for you, Ariel. <laughs> so Ariel, we're in Tuscaloosa in an undisclosed fraternity, <laughs> and I the stage was the lighting designers got there. It was Gabriel. Gable. Yeah. Gable. Yeah. Hey, I'll have some pie. Gabe was there first and set up his lights and so based on the lights I decided to set up over on the side like fish style and I'm looking out the window basically and um, we do the show and it's great and there's a big crowd and then slowly the crowd fades away and we're at 1.30 in the morning and there's not that many people left. Everybody else went downtown. That's kind Let's of face just, it. That's just there the were it two couples. So there's, <laughs> so there's two couples and we go, right, like, you know, fuck this. Let's get everybody to go home and we'll play a slow song. So we play Let's Stay Together by Al Green. And it actually Baby, brought... <laughs> let's stick together. I'm gonna go, guys. Really close. It actually brought more people in than were. No way. Like like girls heard the song and they're like, "Come on, baby, let's go there." So we got these couples slow dancing, and and it's a good saxophone song, and we have a guest saxophonist and some could be there. 
and and uh, you know it was, it was actually going really well for considering the time of night. And I'm looking out the window, and I see just beyond our, our van parked. parked right yeah. by the window, so we can see it. And just beyond our van, I see <laughs> these guys start to get like, you know, they're pushing each other around. It's getting really heated. They're starting to look really getting angry. agitated. Yeah. Things so I, see, I see, like, these wood chips flying with, with huh. I don't know where they're coming from. And, and I'm, like, I'm, like, looking at the guys, and I'm, like, hey, hey, like, trying to point with while playing the drums. And every time you look, there's yeah. nothing look outside, going look outside. on out there. And, and so, like, I get Jimmy's attention, he looks outside, and there's, they're gone. They're, like, dipped behind the van, and you can't see him. He's, like, what's going on? Like, what are you trying to do? And I'm, like, look out. Side, <laughs> look outside, and then everybody, get everybody to look outside, and now there's the action is on the inside of the van, and there's like t- no joke, twenty to thirty people just come barreling across the window, like yeah, but fists fucking pounding into faces. It's like inside the building. It's like you make me feel yeah. so brand new. <laughs> Outside's what the truckers are calling Alabama ass whipping. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I will never go to Los Angeles. The frat so had no. That's why the people were. They weren't coming in for the music. They were running for shelter. That is a hundred percent part of it. Yeah. Yeah. People coming in going. I don't know what the hell's going out there, but I like it in here better. Y'all are crazy. One of the linebackers. One of the linebackers from the football team just like checks this guy up against our van. There's this group of dudes that jump on the back bumper and they're just jumping up and down yeah. going, yeah! So right about that time though is whenever I finally like realized that I need to look outside. And I look outside and I see that dude getting checked out of the van, I see all these people hopping on the trailer, and I was like, Oh mother of God, they're about to pull a th- they're about to pull a thing and they're gonna flip our car. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Is this the new one? Like, this is the brand new vehicle. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like looking at Mac. I'm like, what do we do? Should we stop? Should we stop? And he's just like, no, don't stop. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard, I'm gonna fall off my jump. Oh, and Dennis wasn't wearing an Auburn shirt then, was he? No. God. Okay. Why did you just yeah, stop yeah, playing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Busting yeah. yeah. the tire. He wears it as an undershirt. No. He wears it as an undershirt. It was too. Nah. The best thing. The, it was too funny. The best thing about that though was like. After, you know, we played that song, and I think we had like one more jam because some some dude was coming. And was like, play another song. We're like, oh, for this guy, we'll play one more tune or whatever. <laughs> and um, but by the end of the night, we're like packing up, and yeah, we're packing up, and like I'm going out there, and I walk behind the trailer, and I'm like, and Jimmy was with me, and we're like kicking all the beer cans out because we're about to back this trailer up. I get right down to like the curb, and I look to my left. There is this dude passed out, like with his arms wide open, just passed out, spread eagle in the road. road. He's in the road. And me and Jim are like, we have to go get get this guy out. (laughs) (laughs) This is bad. And we're over there like, we're over there like, hey, Rob, get up. Hey, hey, hey. And like Jimmy Jimmy starts like tapping him in the face, like, you know, I was like, what What was he tapping him with? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll show you a finger now. <laughs> Is that now? But, oh my gosh, that's gross. Yeah. We no, but we we get we get the guy up though, and like he like is you know stumbling around. We're like, dude, are you good? And he goes. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, like, all of a sudden, he just runs off. Uh-huh. And then, like, literally 45 minutes later, we're like, man, we need to go get some food. So we go to Waffle House. That same dude is passed out at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Three months later, he's the valedictorian. Yeah. 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 The president of the fraternity. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, next day we played the fraternity next dude, right door. Right next door, that started the fight. And met the guy that started the fight. It was an inter fraternity yeah. fight. Oh, oh man, I'll, I'll never forget that. Oh, that was and they're crazy. best friends, apparently. For the record, weird. there's oh, there's a story like that every time we've been to Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah. oh my oh, God, yeah. we have had some <laughs> Alabama great times. In Alabama, they don't call it the Alabama Shakes for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what's well, we got a little more time left. Well, well, let's go into the studio. And then they go into the studio to their first album with an inexperienced right. singer. Uh, were there reservations at all? No offense, but you were reservations right. for the studio. Yeah. You got to no, make no, reservations. No. How can you record? <laughs> well, it was our first just show up. Reservations is an album. Yeah. Are you talking you about know? the first record? Or yes. Let's start oh, with the yeah. first one briefly, and then we'll talk about how you chose uh, Wonder Dog. Oh, by the way, in the first uh, studio, we went to uh, uh, Waking Sun. We were with uh, I love Chad call- Singer. Yes, not songs. <laughs> Chad Singer. Um, I was actually in a um, hmm. What would you call that? A doorway. Yeah, I was, was in like a, like a breezeway. A it was a closet yeah. section between the live room and the and the and the and the mix control. Room. Robin yeah. Quivers room. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Two sliding so. doors, and Scotty was in the middle of the two sliding doors with a microphone. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, just amazing. Chad had this... What, he, he actually worked with... Um, uh, Kansas. Kansas, yeah. He was a sound guy for... Uh, yeah, sound well, engineer he did, for Kansas. He, did, he did, still does live sound yeah, for Kansas. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, on the weekends, he'd be gone with them. And so we just, you know, we did maybe two weeks, right? To get yeah. good Steve Moore stories? Did he? He did. He had more Steve stories than I've ever heard. I don't know, but he had them. He has them. He's got them. But I think we're all in kind of the same area, like recording. Mm. This is the first see. album, so we're yeah. all kind So of the first album, I could see us. The guy was right there. Yeah. He could see us. And the whole yeah. object of that first album was, the whole objective was to get Something our material out. down on right. a professional recording. Something Because we out. only had live room mic recordings of shows and mm-hmm. and it was basically a glorified demo. It was, yeah. It's eight tracks and it's our first CD but it, that's sort of what it was. It was just, we needed to get our sound mm-hmm. at the moment down on oh. tape and this is what we are have and something to present to booking that. agents when we could say, hey we got a, we have a CD out, you know? Yeah. So and and it was an awesome experience because we did the whole record live, yep. and we got we had a blast. We had just as much fun doing that as we did doing this one. But yeah, it's always fun. It was just a totally like we did the whole we live tracked the whole album in four days. You went in with the songs all completed. Yeah. Yeah. And we did we did all eight songs in four days, and then spent another four days. Mixing it and then that was that. Like it was. Yeah. I mean, did you know guitar, solo, we overdubs, did. and vocals, I mean, and all that stuff. I really didn't. I really didn't punch many solos on that record. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually. Like, what I was gonna say is like the difference between that first record and this record is like the first record there was like a lot more like guitar solos. They were like done live. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Which, like, there's still some that were done live on the second one, but I'm saying, like, more so, like, I feel like in the first record it was, like, more guitar-centric to, like, the peaks and stuff like that, some of the songs and stuff, but, like, in this one it was, like, there was a lot... I think we added, like, a list. Like, the list was, like, we had, like, how many solos <laughs> we doing in this song, and the first one it wasn't as organized as that. Yeah. Are any of the songs framed around things you've found in your own recordings, your own improvisation? Have you taken your own improv and then uh, taken pieces and framed songs around them? And can you give us an that's, example? That's how we that's write. How, yep. that's every song. Right. Every yeah. song is... Well, I would say every I song. I wouldn't say every song. I mean, I'd, say, I'd say we do a kind of 50, 50, 40, 60 kind of thing where I'll come with an idea for lyrics and they'll put something behind it. Or the 60 where it's they'll be doing something and I'll be like oh my gosh and I'll just start writing and then I'll sing for a lot of parts like for to especially for verse parts um because I I feel like that's how everything starts it always starts with a groove and then like you feel it out like is it really like you know something that's like rounded out enough to like you know be something that you could put lyrics over like is it something that's not too difficult to put lyrics over like um or sometimes it is like you know, "Parasites" like a like one of those weird songs off the first record where we actually don't play that song very often, and some people really like wish we'd played it more. But that was something cool though that that we love about Scott is like he's we would never have been able to figure out how to sing over "Salt" or "Parasite" or any of those songs off the first record. Most weird, of the songs off the weird theme second record, on, right? and he can he can hear the music that we do that's weird and not normal, and then. He'll figure out how to sing over it and make it sound but good. Like, 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 <laughs> make it sound like a real song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like... I'd say 50-50 because like the whole first song. record, every Huge one of those songs was written based off a of jam. Yeah. The second record was... Some we were trying we jam songs. We were like, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, we had like a better understanding of songwriting and like yeah, actually like, not just like throwing a wrench in a bucket or something. <laughs> yeah, like, like Cold Shallow Moon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah like Cold Shallow Moon was one that yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy wrote. wrote. Yeah. Um, just as a bluegrass song. Yeah. Oh man. As a bluegrass song, then like as a band, we came up and like created the music behind it to make it give it that feel that the, the lyrics have, you know. So it was like it was already a song. We had the chords, but we were like, oh, let's scratch that. Let's, let's try and go like a little more disco. There's, you know, there's many songs the, like that. Before Riverside Joyride was a thing, Scotty and Jimmy from their rugby days were writing acoustic folk. Folky yeah. bluegrass kind of songs, and then was that you got all your aggression out on the field, and then you got into yeah. the guitar, you're like, let's get find yourself. I mean, nice come on, sweet, big softy over here. Come on, look at me. Come on. <laughs> but they would come scruffy, softy. Yeah, like Alan Woody. I got to look mean. They would come to practice and have lyrics and you know chord progressions, and we would just alter that. And totally. Sometimes that would work. Sometimes it'd rip it apart, right. and destroy it, exactly. and then come out on the other end with like a voodoo visionary song that has that was completely different from the way the song was originally Ooh. written and intended, but it worked. And ideally, all the, you guys throw in all your inputs and everything gets sorted out on its exactly. own. But there are points where maybe there's differences of agreement. <clears throat> Do you find the person who brought the initial idea tends to resolve those? 
more often than not, tends to have uh, more. I uh, know. I feel like uh, <laughs> a, lot of the time, a lot of the time. Sometimes we'll duke it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely stay strong in our opinions. Yeah. Well, because the studio yeah. is sort of the stamp. It's sort of like I mean, the shows are great. You can do it all different, but the studio one's frozen in time. Exactly. Right? Well, yeah. yeah right. So there's a little more potential for contentiousness in those, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, but we didn't terrible. have any of that in the <laughs> session. Like we had figured all that out by the yeah. time I got in here. It's in the progress. There was like it was just like I think what we usually we do, even duke it out we'll, now afterwards. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's recorded that way. But I don't care that it's recorded that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, like that's the thing. Is like I think that we usually like sometimes it's a part, but I think the most like debate that we have, at least as of recent, has been over like one note. Yeah. Of like what it should be, and I know that sounds like ridiculous to anybody, but it's like you know, in in music, sometimes that one note is the one thing that like you will argue it, it'll it'll be the right thing or something that like you know will throw it completely off. But what about the decision to choose Wonder Dog? Was that unanimous? What what was behind that? And what what was the tipping point? What was like? I think uh, uh, we want to do it here. There was no I think we all came here and got yeah, awesome, awesome. Like we got a tour. We all kind of felt like something. Yeah. The backyard gets me. Yeah, like like well, that's the thing. Right it's now, it's got ball. lasers on the trees out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice effect. It's, it's actually very, and the weather's kind of nice right now. So I was kind of hoping we would do the interview out there, but I, I get the idea sounds better here in the Wonder Dog Sound Studio. <laughs> but uh, the vibe out there is pretty oh, nice yeah. tonight. It yeah. is. Oh, it's wonderful. <clears throat> it's got like a ping pong like, dojo. We, we shopped around some other studios, but they all felt more like business. This is. You know, it's in a house. It's family. For one, home, but it, but it's yeah, it's super comfortable. All the lights and the vibe and everything, everything on the walls. This enormous wall of CD collection that's in front yeah. of us, and just and Marcus. Mark stories going back to Mark himself is like yeah, a, exactly. a music man. Like he has done this his whole life, and from coming here four times before we ever decided to record here and talking with him about his experiences. He played us, some, you know, recordings that he's done in the past. We got to hear what the studio sounds like. We got to hear all the equipment that that we see that we thought maybe we want to try this out. Mm-hmm. And like it was a f- full on like we were absorbed into this studio before we ever decided to come here. And so mm-hmm. when we were when it came time to make the decision, it was pretty easy. Well, how yeah. much is trial and error? I see that vintage amp. I want to use that. I see that mic. Or how much is it? So Mark and Josh saying, that hey, was I think... The, that was the craziest thing about recording my guitar parts was like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm a total gear nut. And like, I spent so much money on buying gear to make it sound a certain way and everything else. And when I first came in here, like, I'm, I'm constantly changing everything and just trying to get my own sounds on the floor and everything else. But it was the first time I came in someplace where... You know, I brought my amp in here, I brought my effects in here, and then I knew what I kind of wanted it to sound like, but then it was cool because I've never had anybody come and be like, hey, there, here's this 1964 Vibrolux, do you want to record to that? And I'm like... I guess I'll try. Yeah, why not? Forget you know, all they, these 2016 pedals. Yeah, 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 it's like it's all these things and like you have all this gear here. And then more so, like, not just recording with it, but, like, you sit there and, like, watch them tweak those amps, and then you're, like, plugging all these different things. Like, so I actually used uh, three different amps on the record, which I've never thought of using multiple amps on anything. I just, like, had my stuff, and I'm like, cool, this sounds great, let's do this. <laughs> and that and was like, part of the pre-production, was Mark, Mark told us, like, <laughs> song for song, 
It's I'm going to listen to what you got, and I'm going to tell you what I think you sh- you need to use yeah. for that sound and that song and, and, and the, the feel of and it. And the crazy thing was is that, and this is what I actually liked about like doing the record, because it's like, you know, Mark and Josh are like very much about, you know, it's like what they say in jamming, it's like, you know, when you can say too much, you're like, you're not, you have to play for the song. They record for the song, and it's like one of those things that I actually, when we first started, I didn't get. I was kind of actually a little apprehensive. I was like, well, I know this sounds good. I know I want it to sound this way, so I don't know if I'm like totally open to that, but I'm going to try it. And we ended up trying it, and it's like all of the sounds on any of the leads that I did on the record or any of like the, the rhythm parts or anything like that, they're all different, and they're all like not exactly... Um, Colorful. They're not... Well, yeah, they're, but they're, they're not like... They're not completely, um, what am I trying to say here? Like, they're not solidified to, like, what I would do in a live situation, but for the song and the recording, they were perfect. You know, like, in a live setting, it's, like, very, very different, but it's, like, for the song and what we were doing when we were recording those parts, it was, like, they just laid right in there the right way, which is, like, something I'd never experienced before, having someone be, like, for the song, this is the way this should sound whenever you're taking this lead, which is interesting. Where'd Hero from the Horizon come from? Hero on the Horizon. That was a, uh, we did 420 Fest this year, we also played 420 Fest last year, and last year a non-profit organization called Songs for Kids. Sing Me a Story. No, called Sing Me a Story. They were there this weekend. They were there again this year. So Sing Me a Story reached out to us last year and presented the idea that if we wanted to, they partner with a lot of uh, kind of like camps and, and stuff like that summer camps and they they take children in in need to the right one is that and they have them write stories and then get musicians to write songs about the stories so we decided to partner with them last year and record a song at 420 fest and the song was by this 12 year old kid Noel with autism from Camp Twin Lakes, and he wrote a song about... So, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, we're on the road. Oh, yeah. That's we made the decision, we want to do this. They contacted us, we got it while well, we were... I don't know where we were. Um, I feel like we were in Alabama. Florida. Florida, yeah, Florida. Um, no. Anyway, doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, so, we're looking through all this story, all these stories in, like... Usually it has, like, a name or, like, you know, like, the elephant or, I don't know, very, very, uh, you know, basic gist of the story. And I'm looking through, I'm reading all these, these just the just the names, I'm, you know, I've looked at, you know, seven by this point in time. And all of a sudden I see, you know, it's like the elephant and I, you know, uh, Sebastian, um, you know all these different weird things, and all of a sudden I see, boom, it pokes me in the eye. Hero on the Horizon. That was the name of his story. And I read it. We all read it. I'm dumbfounded. This kid has, within maybe 12 sentences, a huge, just like, you know, just detail in each sentence you know, there's, yeah, there's, there's, it's awesome. It's there's, written there's in a first huge person. Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's first person, and he basically, he's a superhero that 
doesn't have any special abilities himself except that he's super smart and he's a robotics genius and then he meets this tiger or he gets bit by a wolf and can talk to animals so that's a that's superpower. a superpower and then he meets this tiger that's injured and builds him a new leg and because he's a robotic a genius duh. and then they go around and they fight environmental crimes yeah and it was such a cool story we started writing it in the van yeah writing the song about it and you know there's even he even talks about the villain natura the na- yeah oh man and it's like in my mind what he was talking about was like a you know a giant company that was destroying the world but had a pretty face and a good package people yeah. liked it yeah it was su- super so smart it was like whoa i was and could we not believe it and i think the feeling we were going for it was like like the like the the intro music to like a, like a, a like cartoon, cartoon yeah or like, like a, a comic, comic book, book yeah you know, yeah we went to the studio that or not the studio we went to rehearsal yeah. the next day after we got home from we being it. on the road <clears throat> and and like came up with and we jammed that and i was like hey that's perfect for the intro music for like a comic yeah that's really that sounds like a superhero song and i told dennis to like do like the blam <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pow! Yeah, yeah, like do that on synthesizer. You know, like, It'll be perfect. Yeah. I think so. The, well, and that's also like the whole, yeah, you know, the second section where it has that, like, you know, gonna get him, da 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 like yeah. this kind of quirky thing that goes along with comic books. And actually, it was funny, like, the middle section with, like, the, you know, really beautiful piano parts and stuff like that. I that was one of those things that I think that Dennis just kind of started playing like during like a break and we were like we should jam on that <laughs> and like ended up you know playing like a solo over it and we were like well that's like the that's like the tail end of yeah because in this story that Noel wrote he has this moment where he's He's sitting in his bed. He's lying in his bed, and he's 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 going over his day, and he's he's introspective, hugely, and he's like, "Am I doing the right thing for my life? Am I endangering people around me that I love?" Yeah, by by attacking this natural right. figure, and it, it, are they gonna then come after my loved ones? And so he's like, "I don't know if I should continue to go and fight this fight." And then ultimately he decides the piano solo where it's like yeah. you know, and then when the solo kicks kicks in is where he realizes that fuck that I'm gonna keep you know yeah. keep fighting and you know and keep doing what I need to do for the you know better the community and stuff like that.
at the end of the day to stay strong and keep a fighting for the weak and the late. Rise up and keep a dreaming for tomorrow's today. No time to stop a grooving, cause he's on the way. Noel's no ordinary kid, y'all. Robotic genius with a hidden laugh. He built his own security equipment. Enemies can't pass. He knows no fear. Only robot gear. Just a hero on the horizon. There ain't no, ain't no, ain't no chance of hiding. Just a hero on the horizon. Said, Hunter's gonna track you down. So that was us with Voodoo Visionary. We're in a um, a couch. Are you sure it wasn't Poodoo Visionary? Because sometimes you get the names wrong. Yeah, I did mess a few names <laughs> up, including my buddy Mac. I, I'm so embarrassed. But I already, already explained that. But we were kind of, we, we, you guys were using, what are those mics called? Omnidirectional mics. And we were sitting on the couch in the TV room there. It was pretty cool. With no, it huskies was, it, running around. It was interesting because we showed up for the interview to a studio. And we got there. They're like, so. Uh, yeah, they were shocked that we were <laughs> expecting them to record it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I love it. Was, that was but a little odd. But then once they did, listen how good it sounds. Though. But once, once they got it dialed in, man. It really did. It did. It, it it was homey. It was homey. Mark Michelson, Josh Thane, Adrian Barry, thank you for having us down there. Thank you for really being a huge part of a of a great release. And um, we're gonna we we also that day sat down with Mark and Josh and talked about the studio in general, about Mark's history, and then about some of the specific things they've done for this band and uh, other bands, other as well. bands, and they also do some video presentations. Yeah. So. It, it, whether you're in Georgia or not, you might want to be aware of this. It's in a nice bucolic Marietta uh, suburban setting. Go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say is that being there, I got to tell you, I, I felt the vibe. I mean, you this is the second time I was there, and there's there's a there's I, a vibe there. There's this very like, listen, it's a very it's I, a very comforting, homey vibe. It's not like going into like this corporate studio. You really you. Even just doing the interview, everyone was able just to really, you could see. I could see how it's conducive to being creative. And then there's a whole wooden walkway in the back. I love that backyard. Yeah, where you can just get away and chill. And there's like, uh, what do you call those things? Lights. Uh, uh, Trey wrote a song about it. Fans. Birds. The things. The little houses and backyards. Uh, Gazebo. (laughs) Gazebo. At least I remember Trey had a song about it. Yeah, like yeah. at the gazebo, right? Isn't that uh, a little uh, instrumental? At the Around gazebo, the... Da, 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 at the gazebo. No, <laughs> no. It just listen. You it mentioned really... Barry Manilow a couple times this episode, and now you've just Twice. referenced him. Do we have a shot at him? He's coming to the Fox. He Do is. we have a shot? Is he going to be our doorway to the Fox? Uh, I don't want to talk about that on the air, but uh, Rob, he can't be a mention of the far. I don't want to share with him. I used to listen to his own when I was a kid. He, wait, he's, he, he's the, at the gazebo. Uh, no, no. At the Cabana. You He's were doing not. Copa Cabana. Yeah, but he it's... doesn't do Copa, does he? I thought he did. No, that's like Tijuana Brass or something, no? I think he did. He remade it and had it. No. Hit. Yeah. Oh, my God. He worked with a, a band called Uncle Fester, I think. It was a, a fuse, jazz fusion uh, band. Adam, Fu- uh, Adam Fusion Band? Is <laughs> so the Adam fusion. Family Band, the Adam Fusion Band? That's, that's not even... The Adam Fusion Band. Da-da-da-da. Even in the Catskills. Da-da-da-da. 
Even in the Catskills, that da, isn't da, da, da. that isn't funny. That isn't funny. You know what's not funny is I was going to do the Uncle Shimmy's You're trying too comedy hard. hour from fourth from two thirty to three. Oh god! It was the Uncle Shimmy's sit down comedy hour from three thirty. No, Uncle Shimmy's comedy hour from two thirty to three at Electric Forest. It had a set, and the fucking rain came down. See, God canceled. likes comedy, real comedy. Well, but you also like me like drowning in front of a crowd. Sure. So it's familiar. Who's your god now? Am I same? Uh, but I don't want to talk about it because everybody's so touchy about their freaking gods these days. Oh my god. Oh my god. So let's go to the uh, interview. Wonder Dog Sound Studios. We're in the belly of the beast, baby. The belly of the beast. And we're sitting here with Josh Thane, our engineer. Hello. Extraordinaire. Our superhero who last night was up till four in the morning working on episode 30 with me. Really? Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh. Josh is no longer a fan of your poolside chats. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good one. Maybe at a different time and place. Actually, he's more of a fan of the poolside chat (laughs) than the phone conversation, but that's a different story. Well, it's tough when you have to lift 15 minutes out of like a two-hour interview. Last minute, but hey, Rob, we're not here to talk a bitch. <laughs> Although that's what we normally do. <laughs> to point out that Josh is a wonderful engineer, and we've experienced it firsthand. But the man who runs the show is sitting in my immediate right. Hello there. Howdy. <laughs> Thanks What's, for having us. Hey, it's glad you're here. It's good. Mark's had the studio now for. Well, he had a studio in Sandy Springs in the '80s. It's Mark Michelson, by the way. He had a studio in Sandy Springs in the in the '80s, but that one was short-lived, and then 1999, he started up with this one. But I think, really, the, the some of the unique things about the studio go back to the 60s. Because um, when Mark was playing in a band called Wolfpack, Wolf right, Mark, you developed an interest in vintage microphones and amplifiers. This is correct, sir. You have to speak up. Yes, absolutely, I did. And so... That serves you well to this day, right? You still have a lot of those, and, and you, you use them as recording... Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, like all of us, little by little, we just gather the gear we need. And here we are a bunch of years later with lots of gear. <laughs> Where'd you first get the itch to produce? To, to, to be, you were a drummer, you played a little guitar, but mainly you played drums back in the 60s, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, mostly I was a drummer and then I sang a bit. Um, I think it was like all of us. I think the first time we heard music that we really liked, one of the first things that came to us was, how do you do that? And I wanted to know, you know. I was, I wanted to know. 
what's going on? How do you play the instruments? What's up with singing? What's up with these words I'm hearing that are making me feel stuff and do stuff that's so cool? You know, how are they getting those sounds? And what's this tape recorder do that my dad had? Wow, I can record the dog. Man, this is great. Yeah, trucks going by. Then he got another dog. Then he got another dog. (laughs) No wonder. We have more dogs. Now they're everywhere. Dogs in our bed. So, what do you remember your old your old studio in Sandy Springs in the eighties? What about what do you remember from them and uh, from then? And uh, I mean, that's bold. It didn't work out. That you still had the, the get up and go to start up another one. You know, a lot well, of people yeah. a lot of people give, would give up, and you had the you had the fortitude to press the cord. Well, the husband. Yeah, the, the <coughs> Well, the, the key to that whole debacle was a divorce. But no, I mean, I've been doing this nonstop the whole time. We just were derailed because Mark had to move. <laughs> no. And movie did, and here we are in lovely Marietta, home of the Atlanta Braves. It's, sure, it's an arguable right. term, I know. I want to say Cobb County Braves. Come on, still feels weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. And how has this uh, traffic affected the studio? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, I'm gonna get home. Uh, <laughs> a roundabout way. Luckily, we're still on the east side of things. But, you know, the west side of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are lucky with not much traffic, yeah. that's for sure. And Josh, you've been working here since you interned with Shimon Presents, is that correct? Yeah, Josh that's was in high correct. school 15 years ago when he started here. Or actually, yeah, you were here yeah, before I, Shimon Presents. I've known you guys a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you You're still that? talking to him, too. Yeah, that was, that was it. I still remember coming down to Peachtree, you know, being up with Seth in the days before cell phones and MapQuest printouts and <laughs> where are we going? Josh was and, a former uh, Shimon Presents intern. Yes, Rob. this is true. And before that, I apprenticed with Mark when I also caught the bug and realized that, uh, well, somebody's got to make all this wonderful music we like. And But what drew you to Wonder Dog specifically? <clears throat> specifically, I grew up right in the neighborhood, had some mutual friends that were uh, children of Mark's, and then we... Uh, hanging out one night, you know, like, wow, look at this place. That that Perpetual Groove album that we've been playing nonstop was right here in my backyard. Sweet Oblivious Antidote. Sweet Oblivious Antidote. Great. Yeah, that was just, when I was in high school, just taking off right then, and, you know, that was, uh, wow, that was right there, and we got to talking and hanging out, and here we are now, still making records. And Your most recent record is with... With, uh, well, with Voodoo Visionary full length right now, yeah, th- these guys. But uh, we just finished a smaller project with a reggae group. Yeah, man. Yeah, Soul Medicine. That was that was a lot of fun. Which Actually, one of Mark's old buddies on bass, too, which was... Uh, T. Wesley Dean, let's yeah. shout him out. T. Wesley yeah. Dean, that, that was a good yes, time. Sir. And uh, got, a, got a couple other things coming up pretty soon you'll be hearing about so all right but, uh, well can you talk about that i came across a quote that seems like it might be a mantra for the studio it was it was one of mark's quotes in one of your videos mark you say we bear down on the meat and we go light on the potato salad can you walk walk us through if you're not a musician how or if you're a musician how uh you know specifically why well, that's a, a sign of why to work here well a couple of things i guess we can narrow that down to keep it real would probably be the keeping it real. You know, what I'm <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, and yeah, I mean, just getting, you know, leaving all the superfluous stuff behind, True. getting to what matters, say what matters, play what matters. Not getting lost in the minutia. Don't get, yeah, don't get caught up in anything really. 
just you know kind of like I crossed out you know the end of the ego and just let the music come through and We've been real lucky that pretty much everybody that shows up over here has got that same idea. True. I remember there was one there. There was a barbecue sticker. If I'm right, this, I heard you say that, Rob. It just brought me back. It's like Benji over here and some of us and Benji Shanks. He's talking about the great guitarist. Right? Yeah, yeah. And there was some barbecue sticker. I don't know if you had it or it was like. Am I right? Was it? That did. That's right. There was something, and it was something. just a saying. It was. It was like on this barbecue sticker, like we bear down on the meat and light the potatoes out, or maybe it was somebody just said that. No, it was like, no, this no. Works it was my friend, music. my old buddy that I used to play double drums with, Brian Childers. Brian Childers did a commercial for a barbecue restaurant. Oh wow! <laughs> and we were talking, and he was just because we're old buddies, and he was trying to come up with all this stuff that he could say. Mm. And one of the goofy things we came up with was that, and then he used that in the commercial. Yeah. Well, somebody made that connection over here, I remember, and it was like, that's it. That's what we do. We bear down. <laughs> I just hear Colonel Bruce it. yelling that quote. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can see it. Yeah, he's a fine gentleman. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're going to jump into our an interview here in a minute with Voodoo Visionary. But I do want to ask a couple other things. Um, can, can you talk about some of the tricks you do? It's the way you get some of the sounds. Like when, when I was when I was in here, you were getting some wonderful uh, keyboard sounds um, for for Dennis of uh, Voodoo Visionary, and you were again you were using amplifiers and microphones. And I know you don't want to be too specific, but to what extent is that trial and error? To what extent is that very band to band? And to what extent is that a set thing that you know you can go to and do a certain way, and it will be a certain way? All of that definitely band to band, song for song artist for artist um, typically I mean no and it's not you know like big secrets but we were doing stuff with Dennis we were running things through two or three different preamps and through two direct boxes and chaining lots of different devices together and that just gets into finding the fun mojo based on the given situation mm-hmm. and so yeah, a lot of times I'll just start plugging in boxes and all of a sudden everybody goes God man that sounds great and there we are mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. sounds good. It is good. And we love incorporating other people's gear with ours. And hey, if you try out seeing these pedals, or try to tape delay, or whatever it might be, that some of these cool old amps in here, you know. So each mm. time, like we know what this stuff is. We're not just guessing necessarily, but every right. time it's custom tailored to what the song, what the what the moment calls for, right there. And I mean, we've been doing it together fun. now, like you were saying earlier, like 15 years. Mm. And then I'm ancient and been doing it forever. On top of that. So we we have an idea of the various and sundry little things we can do, but then each time it's just really fun. And we were basing it on what Dennis was bringing, you know, and then yeah. trying to make that fit in with the song because you're always trying to serve the song. That's critical. That's it. And are you giving arrangement insight and, and stuff like that? I mean, to, to what extent? Like for the Voodoo album, they come in with the songs. Um, how much did the songs evolve uh, in the time that you were here? Somewhat. I mean, we try to make suggestions and stuff, and it, it depends. Like, again, it's a case-for-case scenario. But these guys were really together. They had mm-hmm. the songs together. They rehearsed. A lot of them had been played live. Mm-hmm. There were some new ones that we kind of worked up. So I don't think we had to do... <laughs> you know, we didn't really have to do, but then there, there, there are plenty of cases where the band will come in and they've got two chords and half a verse. And, mm-hmm. you know, we end up having to help them flesh mm-hmm. out the lyrics, what are you trying to say? Yeah. That can be a lot of fun to actually allow the creative writing experience to happen in the studio. A lot of times, you know, we got to get in there and knock it out and get to work too and, and 
track all the stuff. Voodoo, you guys were tight. I mean, I've been playing this stuff live for a minute in yeah. the road with it. Mm-hmm. Some of the horn stuff, some of the stuff, you know, that was a situation where we just kind of worked with them. We work with Marty a bit. Here's a part, yeah. you know, we're kind of like, we know where we're going, and that kind of was one of those situations where we were kind of still had an idea of what was there, but figuring out what worked with the recording. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a great, you know, I mean, obviously, Marty, you had a great sax guy come in who had great ideas pre coming in and then we got together and we all just put our heads together mm-hmm. and then kind of crafted the parts yeah yeah those guys did a great job you guys could jump in too voodoo i mean when you recorded your cd off the ground it's your second cd uh you, you put out a, a good a really good first cd but it, it sounded to me like a, a very good cd put out by a local band mm-hmm. now it seems like you have an excellent cd that you know you could tour nationally with i mean can you talk about how you chose this place and how you felt it influenced your sound and the final product well, yeah, actually, um, this is Dennis, keyboardist, yeah, Lunar Visionary. Uh, <laughs> so my dad, uh, my dad plays Irish music. Um, so we actually had a friend, um, Walter, who was who knew Mark from from years back. I guess way back. What from high school? Or? We're we're high school schoolmates. Yeah. Wow. So um, oh, that's like eighty, ninety years ago. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, the same age as Colonel Bruce. <laughs> yeah, young. very young. <laughs> um, so I think it was. I guess Mark had a a reunion, or or was you know with Walter, and he was like, "Hey, my my friend's son, you know, plays in a band in Atlanta. You know, should uh, yeah. check him out." And then I think my dad told me, too, um, about you here because, you know, they were talking. Um, So I think I called you up and was like, hey, we're, you know, thinking about recording our second album somewhere. Um, Just now starting to look at places. So that's kind of how it all started there. And we came Um, over here like three, four times just to hang out and absorb the vibe of this place. It's a really cool spot to um, hang out at and Mark's a really cool guy to chill with so we got to know each other and Mark was asking us about our vision and, and your voodoo vision yeah the voodoo vision <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we trying to do with this, this this second album what's our music like compared to what we've already recorded on the first album he did did his homework and listened to to Spirit of the Groove the first album and then uh so like by the time we decided to record here and, and came in, like it was it was pretty easy. And that was Jack Zach Schmidt, drummer of Voodoo Visionary, and I think I saw Mike getting ready to talk. Mike, oh well, Mike Wilson. Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, like when you're talking about the songs that developed because you were I think you were in here, Rob, for yep. some part of because I remember we came in, we had which you know, song, we wanted. You know? we, I think I think he was in here for. I think he was in here for hold tight. <laughs> hold tight. Yeah. Yeah. Hold Shalomoon because I ended up living cold Shalomoon last. Yeah. Well, <laughs> specifically, specifically, there was like two moments I remember in the studio here where we actually, like, hold tight was an idea the week before we came into the studio, and like basically we were because the last album was. Uh, eight tracks, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we like wanted like a solid like twenty song, twenty originals, and we were like scrounging. We like we have to have try and find some more original material. So we wrote "Hold Tight," and that song I remember I think took the longest because we were like 
it wasn't we, we, done. We, it just wasn't yeah. done. Then we had this groove, and we were like, okay, we'll figure it out. And when we came in here, you know, they helped us out, figure out, like, not to make it overcomplicated, just let it be what it is, and kind of, like, ride it out. And that song has ended up being pretty popular, but, like, the other moment was actually in Saving Face whenever we were doing the drum solo towards the end of the song and we like had this idea and we were kind of like if you listen to the end it's like you know this little section is kind of like borderline on like a Santana-esque or like Almond Brothers and it was like, this weird thing and it's like really really abstract to like the song and stuff like that it's like just like out of left field and we were trying to figure out how to like fit a drum solo behind the actual part of it, and we were just like, we were. I think we took us. I can't remember how much, but that one took a breather. It did. <laughs> well, we, we were sitting around. We were sitting around like, well, that, is this gonna actually work? Like, is this gonna? And then we finally figured it out how to make it work. But I think it was partly because Mark was in there telling Mac like, yeah, Mark like, was like, do the toms, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think we were. Forget like, the yeah, symbols. Do the toms. Hit every part of the drum kit trying to figure that whole thing out yeah. and stuff. But. Can you lend a helping hand? What's the use? There's no pretending. I said we traveled far and wide throughout this land. Access granted and denied based on a car Tell me the truth Interrogation This compromise, it can't be very hard Could be cautious Maybe not I could tell you a story Get straight to the plot To be free What's the price to pay? Saving face at court Like God at the end of the day To be free What's the price to pay? Saving face at court Like God at the end of the day To be free What's the price to pay? Saving face, it could look good at the end of the day To be free, what's the price to pay? Saving face, it could look good at the end of the day To be free, what's the price to pay? Saving face, it could look good at the end of the day To be free
too Can you help me? I said, can't you lend a helping hand? Magnolia Mama, I need a miracle I said, can't you lend a helping hand? Reunite the family Where the roots run deep Can't we hold each other close Don't spare the youth From the moving roots Do you remember what it's like to be in those shoes? Could be cautious Maybe not Saving face, it could not go to the end of the day. 